beer sound. Hello, Internet. My name is Sean Michael Patrick Vash the Stampede Thompson. Uh, as always, you're a host of Drink to the Past, uh, the only podcast where the host makes a dumber, ubiquitous, moping monologue every time and then asks you to share and subscribe our content. I mean, subscribe and share our content. Oh, shit. I already, I already screwed up, so that means I have to drink. And if you're drinking along at home, that Good means job. that you have to drink. So. Hmm. Ah. Hmm. I have a very interesting uh, Sean drinks something stupid today. Um, first, I guess I'll introduce my uh, uh, guests. Uh, of course, we've got our regular, my good old co-host, uh, Mr. Chris. Uh, hi, I'm Chris. Noida Audette. Yeah, hi, I'm Chris. Please go vote Audette. Uh, yeah. And I will be playing video games for your this evening. Yeah, so if you're checking out our YouTube version, you can check out exclusive Noida gameplay by Chris. It's uh, epic or something. And if you're checking us out on the audio versions, then uh, consider checking us out on YouTube. Because I think it's always kind of fun to have the uh, video up of the gameplay, and we'll, we'll kind of make commentary here and there. So you're missing out a little bit if you're on the audio version, but we love you too, so... Check us out on Podbean or Apple if you would rather. And we actually have two guests this week. Uh, we have uh, Mr. David Wayne Nystrom. Hello. Yeah. Um, and uh, returning our good buddy Taylor Wells. Always good to be here. Yeah. So we got a kind of a loaded podcast here. Um, so actually, before we get into it, I told Dave we'd uh, plug his book. So Dave, why don't you tell us about your book? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I am the author of a long form zelda fan novel called the arrow without a hero uh it takes place between events between ocarina of time and the wind waker if you look at that rather infamous legend of zelda timeline uh there's a chunk on there that's labeled the arrow with no hero or the arrow without a hero and 10 ish years ago when that came out one of my buddies asked me you know hey if you can make a zelda game where would you put it on the timeline and i'm like well this looks weird i don't like it and surely somebody had to stand up and fight for their right to party so or that's paraphrasing but fairly um, see i've already seen entries for that on uh tv tropes so yeah <laughs> but uh so yeah like i and 10 years you know it went through a couple different forms it was partially a you know when it started out i was writing it as a video game and then i realized that i loved the story too much and i wasn't good at programming or had no interest in programming so therefore making a game just seemed frivolous so why not just turn it into a story and a couple of drafts later i now have a an actual novel form uh, it's being published in chunks over on zelda dungeon uh chapter actually just came out this friday um and it is almost the end of the first book uh, of a trilogy of books. So um, as far as where you can get your hands on it, I'm still working on working some of the kinks out with that. Um, Got to one, make sure that I don't, you know, piss off the Nintendo people and get shut down completely. Um, but then also I need to find ways to make sure that I get what I want, because uh, ultimately I'd like to be able to put out the soundtrack that I made with it. Um, include a map that I made with it, um, stuff like that. So that's my book. Check it out. Like I said, check it out over in Zelda Dungeon. Uh, I'll help you out. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, 
I I think I've actually already seen entries uh, for your book on uh, TV tropes, so you got that going cool. for you, which is nice. Nice. Yeah, so definitely check that out. Uh, so today on Sean Drinks Something Stupid, I have a new festive drink called the Crackle Lantern in my official spam mug. Uh, bum, I, bum, I actually uh, sent in several uh, UPC codes from different cans of spam. I think I had to collect like 20 codes from cans of spam or something to send them in to get this coffee mug. Uh, back when sending in UPC codes to get free swag was a thing. Um, so, yeah, if you didn't notice, I'm in a Vash the Stampede costume here. Uh, I used to have cool Vash the Stampede glasses, and, and I have lost them over the years. Uh, so that's, that's kind of sad, but I figured, you know, close enough. I also didn't feel like going to the store to buy hair dye, so, you know, what you gotta do? All right. Um, but, uh, yeah, the Cracko Lantern, if you'd like to make one of these yourself, you can find the recipe is actually on Kraken Rum's official website. Uh, which I believe is crackandrum.com, but if you just look up the Crack-O-Lantern, K-R-A-K-O-Lantern, uh, then I'm pretty sure you'll probably be able to find it. Um, so this is actually hilarious, because I was looking at this recipe, and I was like, hold on a minute, this is just pumpkin spice grog. And that's <laughs> fucking hilarious. And uh, so, also, it uh, there was a cinnamon stick in the picture, on the website, but there was not one in the recipe, so I got a cinnamon stick, and I'm not totally sure what to do with it, so I think I'm just gonna try and use it as a straw, like I did with the, uh, Chateau Romani. Delicious. Mm. Cinnamon sticks do not make good straws. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I think, it I think it's more good? of like, yeah, it's more of like a dip and bite, I think. You don't, I don't, dip and bite cinnamon? I dropped the cinnamon yeah. stick into my Cracko Lantern. Okay. Oh. That might that might be the way to do it. That might be. That too. Actually, this is pretty good. Um, if you like grog and uh, pumpkiny spicy stuff, it's a that's actually a pretty good pumpkin spice thing. The pumpkin, uh, you only put in like a tablespoon of pumpkin pie filling, and it's uh, and the rest of it is like spicy stuff and rum. So, that actually actually that's not bad. I'm gonna give that a um. I'm gonna give that. Let me sip it again. Mm. Oh, oil doesn't put out fire. That is a true statement, Chris. <laughs> uh, every time Chris shoots oil at a fire, he has to drink. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make that new uh, new rule. And if you're drinking along at home, you can get visual cues on our. I, I have a drink sign. It's hilarious. I think it's hilarious. Nobody else in the world has ever told me it's hilarious, so I assumed that they all love it because I keep doing it. That's that's how being a YouTube guy works, right? Yeah. Uh, you get no response. That, that's good. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna actually give this a, a 14. That's probably one of the best cocktails I've had on the podcast in a while. Um, I like that pretty well because I like grog. Um, so Dave, what you drinking? I have a couple different brands of Oktoberfest here. Um, good. Even though October, reason. even though Oktoberfest is well past, it's yeah. still October and. It but counts. It counts. Yep. It's, it's um, Oktoberfest in my book until Thanksgiving. So. I like that. I can live with that. Or I, I until they it. stop selling Marts and Lagers at the liquor store. There you go. I feel like it's Oktoberfest no matter what month it is. It's, I'll drink to you know. that. Have, sure. Yeah, it's why always Oktoberfest somewhere. Yeah. That's true. 
<laughs> awesome. Uh, so uh, what brewery is it? Uh, one is the one I'm drinking right now is Spartan. Mm. Um, it's it's an actual import Oktoberfest that has nice blue white checkers all over it. Awesome. Um, and then the other one that I will be drinking when this one is gone is from Good City Brewing uh, here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Nice. We love supporting them craft breweries. So if you're in the Wisconsin area, then go check them out or in the Milwaukee area. I'm not sure how big Wisconsin is. Big enough. Yeah. If that's close to you, then look them up. If it's not close to you, look them up anyway and, and maybe special order their stuff or something. They might be wonderful. Mm. Uh, Chris, what are you drinking this week? Uh, same thing I was last week. I am meant to be to bring on a left pan peanut butter cup uh, stout because mm-hmm. uh, I had that yesterday, and mm. that was delicious. Uh, but instead, I'm drinking an Imperial Java stout, which is it's fine too. Yeah, I I, I also like this beer. I was thinking this uh, uh, pumpkin spice grog stuff would actually not be bad if I had put in hot coffee instead of hot water. I thought about that. Because then it'd basically be a pumpkin spice latte, but instead of cream, it would have fucking rum. It's like eight times more badass. Uh, Dave, what do you rate that beer on a scale of 3 to 17? Um, let's go... Let's go a 13. All right. Not... Not the greatest Oktoberfest I've had, but it's not bad by any measure. It's mm-hmm. slightly above average. Nice. Uh, What's the greatest Oktoberfest beer you've ever had, though? That's um, probably one that I had in Germany when I was probably about 18 or 19. Um, and it was one brewed in the actual Hofbrauhaus wow. so, in Munich. So that that would be the best, I'd say. Yeah, can't can't beat that. It, I mean, that gets like bonus points for atmosphere, like yeah. right from the source. Yeah. Yep. That's like going to the brewery in uh, St. James Gate and getting a Guinness or something, you know. Oh God, yes, I want to do or, that so bad. Or, or <laughs> County Cork and getting a straight up whiskey. Right. Yeah. I've been to the brewery at St. James Gate, but I was actually even underage at the time for Ireland's drinking age, so I got to the top of the brewery at the end of the tour, and I had a Coca-Cola. Oh, underage in Ireland? That, that's a myth. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you're they out come out public, of the womb with a glass of tequila to... <laughs> and whiskey. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, a glass of tequila? Yeah. They, they drink all kinds, man. You, you've we never been judge. to Ireland, have you? You're, you're right. I never have. <laughs> they they have every alcohol you could Booze possibly booze, think man. of in their country. <laughs> and um, our good buddy Taylor, you're not drinking anything, so uh, I have to drink some more. Uh, this yeah. Week. So uh, if I were drinking, though, I would be drinking a uh, Dos Equis Pale. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I guess I'll just have to slam this instead of because I've got two beers here for uh, when I inevitably run out of beer. So I'll just slam the rest of this and call that your drink. So I'm taking one for the team. An enjoyable venture. Mm. That gets more spicy the further down you get. I think the allspice I put in there got kind of stuck at the bottom, so it's all like right, right. Could there also the be the cinnamon you dropped in there. That is possible. <laughs> it's a little awkward sitting in this coat after so long because I've gotten a lot fatter than when I bought it. So I've actually only got two buttons buttoned. <laughs> 
<laughs> Are you Robert Baratheoning it with the armor? I don't know what that means. Oh, is that press, a reference press plate, Oh no. Press plate, press plate stretcher. Yeah, <laughs> you got it. I don't get the <laughs> reference. I have to drink. <laughs> There's there's a scene you know, in Game, of, Game Thrones of Thrones where Robert Baratheon, who's like really famed for being this war king who who won a lot of battles, he's about to enter into a joust and putting on his armor, and he's gotten too fat since he last wore it, and so he's like, "Somebody get me the breastplate stretcher." <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and then Ed Stark, who is played by the lovely Sean Bean, says, "I don't." That's gonna help. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I uh, for a little while I was the only person in the world who owned a copy of the first two seasons of Game of Thrones on VHS tape. But it has been a long time since I watched those, and I never got around to watching the third season. So they had that on VHS. No, yeah, they that's didn't. what I was wondering. I, I pirated it on VHS. How? What? Because. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, Comcast did a thing where basically, like, all HBO shows were free on demand for, like, three days or something, and so I didn't actually have time to sit down and watch them, so, so I got some VHS tape tapes, and I, yeah, and I, and I would play it and push record, and then I'd go do something else, and I'd come back later, and I'd, uh, set up the gotta next Gotta put it in the next tape. Rewind yeah. The next yeah, so I had, uh, the first two seasons of Game of Thrones all fit on, uh, four VHS tapes. I, I did that with my brother entire the saga of Dragon Ball Z when it first came out on Toonami. Nice. We recorded the entire thing. We had like mm -hmm. 15 or 30 VHS tapes. It was ridiculous. Nice. Uh, today's beer of the week for me, the first one, is a hazy golden ale from Odd 13 Brewing Company. This is called Jetman Jimmy. I always love their kind of funny comic book style artwork on the cans here. That's always cool. Um, if you get a whole bunch of those cans together, do they tell a story? That's the question. So like Maybe. one big picture? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I'll, I'll start collecting and, and put them all together or something. Yeah. Remember how old anime, like when you actually bought the anime VHSs, they also did that, like the box covers or whatever. If you lined yeah. them up all in a row, they I would actually, like play out an artwork. Scene. I actually saw, it was a couple of months ago, I actually saw several Dragon Ball Z tapes in the thrift store uh the official ones and uh i was like i kind of want to buy these but i don't have a vcr anymore they would be literally worthless but oh man it's cool with the giant you know with with like the 40 tapes or whatever it was missing yeah. a few too uh but like, to it made this back. giant mural with all the characters and everything i was like that is that is pretty cool like that's what i'm saying it's like be those... worth it to just buy the tapes throw away the tapes and keep the 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 boxes and just like make a collage out of it for that giant oh, mural. It's it's like a hundred percent meant for collect, you know. Like you just mm -hmm. you have the whole thing. It's it's a perfect like bookshelf item kind of thing, and you you just set it up as a backdrop or something, and it it just makes it so much nice. Yeah. All right. Uh, shall we get into the news and booze for the week? News. Don't all speak up at once. I guess we're going news. into the news and booze for the week. Yes. Oh, news. yeah. So the first piece I'd be good of news, for news, news this week is uh, Cyberpunk 2077 is delayed 21 days. It will now release December 10th. Uh, 
And Chris has a note here. Would you like to talk about that, Chris? Yeah, so apparently people have been sending the developers death threats, uh, which over a game that's been delayed, like, what, three weeks? Right, it's yeah. It's complete... Pe people... Blow uh, up. Yeah, grow, grow up, basically. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, try being a Zelda fan for a game cycle, right? Have you have you had a game that's been delayed two years? We didn't send death threats over that, because, yeah, you know, we're not every, terrible. I, I feel like two years is the average amount of delays for a Zelda game. Absolutely. Or, or, we, or not even, like, just Zelda. Like, games in general. Like, you got Red Dead Redemption 2 is delayed heavily for mm -hmm. quite some time. Yeah. Then you've got, uh, you've got Final Fantasy VII Remake had had a delay. Oh, yeah. Had, like, two delays or three delays. Yeah. And, like, pe I mean, people had the same reaction I, to that, too. I feel too. like they probably had even more than that. But there was, like, two public delays, I think. And other than that, like, they just kept, like, giving us little snippets here and there of like, hey, we're still working on it. We didn't forget about you. Uh, so for Final Fantasy VII Remake, I bet they probably had a lot of internal delays as well. You, and, you know what's you know what's funny? It remind, Final Fantasy VII Remake reminded me a lot of Breath of the Wild in terms of like its its release and the information released about it. Like you, we had Breath of the Wild, you know, yeah. announced, and it was what, that 30, 40 second trailer maybe? And that was all we got for, like, what, two years? And then all of a sudden we got, like, a little bit of artwork and things like that, and then nothing again for a year, and then all of a sudden they did the E3 where it was nothing but Breath of the Wild throughout the entire thing, and we almost got overloaded. Final Fantasy VII Remake did the same thing. Like, it was announced with the trailer, we received a little bit of concept art and a bit of a gameplay demo a year later, and then... Nothing until the last, I think, six months before it's released and where we got trailers on trailers. We got a, a big gameplay yeah, demo. And then like, when every couple of weeks, they'd be like, here's the Tifa trailer. He's the yeah. uh, Eris trailer or whatever. Well, and then when they did delay it the final time, when they said, okay, instead we're, we're going to release it a month later. So instead we're going to release the entire first, um, like the first part of the bombing mission is a gameplay demo and you could download that on on playstation where they're like yeah this will tide you over it's only 30 days good right this is actually a pretty good i'm not usually all that into light beers but uh as a hazy one i kind of like that sometimes uh this what was this called jetman jimmy that's kind of interesting hmm. I'm gonna, yeah I'm does it send you to the moon as well uh maybe this robot dude on here probably could take me to the moon, I bet. Look, uh, he's next... a jet man. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, next piece of news and booze. Uh, an Age of Calamity demo was leaked by the Korean Nintendo Twitter account, um, which then was confirmed literally the next day because they randomly had a Nintendo Direct Mini Partner Showcase again. Uh, they said this would be the last one for the year, but uh, what do you guys think about the uh, Age of Calamity specifically? Uh, let's talk about that piece of the uh, Direct first. Um, did you guys play the demo? Being... Are you guys interested? Uh, I mean, as Zelda fans, you guys are probably I... at least interested. My wife had it downloading before I even told her it was out. 
told her that it might be coming out the night before she was playing i think animal crossing at the time and said and then i texted her and said hey it's out and she's like i know i have it downloading for you yeah i'm like yeah you're a good wife she's a keeper <laughs> we'll drink to your wife i'll drink to your wife my wife is eyeing me because i'm drinking to drinking someone to someone else's wife, else's wife. So let's drink yeah. to my wife too all right i'll drink to your wife i'll drink to your wife they're all drinking to you. <laughs> I'm awesome. Everybody's right. wife is drinking. Oh, yep. wait. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, everybody's wife is drinking. Uh, anyways, uh, so yeah, did you guys uh, check out the demo then, both of you, I assume? or And or all three of you? Chris, did you touch the demo? I have not touched the demo. I haven't yet had the opportunity to. <laughs> Are you I did. I am interested. I want to, uh... Tyler, did you? I have actually not. Um, despite being a huge and enormous Dynasty Warriors fan, um, I... I don't know. Like, it, it's a game I will definitely play at some point, but I am not, like, up in arms about, oh my god, I can't wait till the day of release. Uh, most... And this, a lot has to do with the fact that it's not canon in terms of story, at least from what I've heard. It's not canonical. I it feel like may it's, or may not it's, be. It's a little ambiguous what it is right now, but I feel like it will. It, well, at the very the least, first like, game. Nintendo's literally working with them on it to make the story yeah. happen. So it. it yeah, but that, that doesn't kinda... matter because because Nintendo kind of directly worked with Cadence of Hyrule too, and that wasn't that's not canon yeah. either. Um. Yeah, wasn't build as canon. This has been build as canon, and it may or may not be canon. Build as canon by who? Nintendo. By okay. I, I would say Nintendo. I'd say that they, and 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 literally marketing it as the story. You know, the story you knew, or however they phrased it in that one like tweet about it. You know, the story, the story you knew, the story you get to play now, or whatever it was that they said. That doesn't that doesn't strike me as billing in this canon because they did something similar for the original High Hyrule Warriors and that one is absolutely not canon. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't, it's, I don't it's know. A little up in the air, up to debate. We could talk about that yeah. all day. I'm sure. Yeah, it, but, uh... If it if it ends up being canon, great. But like from everything that I've heard, based on the fact that I played the original one and I love the original one, don't get me wrong. But you yeah. know, I. I don't have the kind of time that I used to have to be able to just drop into playing, you know, a game that may or may not have an actual influence on what I'm caring about right now in Zelda, which is the story, especially if, after Breath of the Wild's somewhat I, uh, I would, uproarious I, arrival. We'll get into I'm that. In the, it's we will get into canon. That. Here's a sneak peek of our uh, video game topic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what were you if going to If it doesn't to say, end up being... I, I'm That's in the, all. it's definitely canon camp, if only because it's very clearly set uh, before Breath of the Wild. And the previous Hyrule Warriors was not like that. It wasn't yeah, set in any particular zone. I'll give you when that, you, yeah. When you play it, you will understand. I'm not gonna, I don't want to talk about the spoilers of it, but when you, in the opening, what would you say, five minutes? You will understand why it may or may not be canon. Um, yes, yeah, so, I mean, like, I, I'm 100% going to play the game. It's just I was not in a rush to download a demo for a game that I will eventually play in full later. 
Right. I, I just wanted to get a jump start. That, that you can take your save data and cross it over to the full game once. That you was really it. cool. So I was like, I will, all right. Yeah. Oh, well, like, what the fuck is that? I don't know. Uh, okay, they've added some enemies since early access. <laughs> awesome. I I think that is definitely that might actually be a first in gaming history, and where ga uh, game data from a demo is carried over into the main game. I don't know Oct if I've ever Octopath heard of a video game. Others, oh, yeah. Octopath, Octopath, Octopath did that, right? Did that and, right. Uh, Dragon Quest Eleven did that. Although that game, the demo came out for that like way after the game did. Um, Those are two recent releases, though, so yeah, I would still count this kind of like in the first of many, you yeah, know? It's newer. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's certainly a new kind of approach to it, which I think is really cool, because it's like... I think it's fabulous. Yeah, then you don't, like, lose anything from playing the demo and then have to, like, replay that part of the game or something like that, so... And I want to say usually, like, when, when game companies release a demo, very little changes in that demo to release so it's not like if you did something in the demo and then played the played the full release game a whole lot would be different or you might have missed something out so i i definitely think as a new trend this is probably a really good one hmm. yeah um let's get into the rest of the uh nintendo direct stuff um so i'm just gonna kind of hit a couple of bullet points that i think were pretty much the highlights um Control and Hitman 3 are both coming to Switch in cloud versions, so you're actually going to be streaming these from uh, the cloud. Uh, Control is actually available now. Uh, you can even get a demo of it before you play the game on uh, through the cloud streaming, which is kind of interesting. I have it downloaded, but I haven't tried the demo. Um, uh, what do you guys think about... Uh, the idea of cloud gaming on Switch. Do you think that's... Yeah, a lot of people, I feel like, are saying, oh, this is going to be how they'll keep competing with the next generation, even though the Switch hardware is technically not as powerful. They can cloud stream games and, you know, keep up. But then, on the other hand, people are also kind of saying, uh, like, oh, except for that kind of kills the portability aspect because you have to have a really good Wi-Fi connection to play these games effectively. So where do you guys stand on the whole cloud streaming on Switch? I think uh, it's a good option, but for those who really want to get the full experience, I think they'll go elsewhere. But for people who are more or less Nintendo uh, Nintendo diehards or, um, or people who just don't have the money necessarily to buy another, another next-gen console... It's a good option for maybe dabbling in. I don't think uh, I, I don't think it'll be the same necessarily experience because you're you know sitting there waiting, you're queued in, and you have to wait for you know, your opportunity to play the game. But it's it's an option, and I think it's an okay option for Nintendo if they're not planning on coming out with a quote unquote next gen console in the next you know few years which i definitely don't think they are so mm. yeah i think there's potential for a mid-gen upgrade switch pro something like that that has been rumored forever uh but yep. i think that's the only thing we can expect in the near future from nintendo and i don't know that that would be able to still keep up with you know the 4k 120 fps that the other big consoles are pushing so I feel like this is a good middle ground uh, 
for developers for the time being. And depending on, you know, what, if anything, the Switch Pro ends up being, I could easily see that. Wait, like, has that been confirmed? No, it's a rumor. Okay. Damn, I feel bad. I have to mention my wife <laughs> is yelling from off screen in the opening monologue, aren't I? I feel bad here because I think... Uh... I think this podcast, uh, I'm going to be taking a, a negative stance on a lot of different things. Uh, and yeah, that's usually my job. <laughs> as, <laughs> as far as the Chris Nintendo Switch is concerned. I'm just going to fire Chris and hire you. Oh, you shit. get no pay, but you get to drink a lot of beer that you have to buy. I really got to I mean, provide the tumor takes. You dropped off beer at his house once. I do drop off I, beer at Chris's house sometimes. <laughs> I'm a thirsty guy, so that I, I guess that works. I would offer to um, mail you beer, I guess. I, except mailing beer I don't think I, is legal. I technically still owe you a birthday beer. Yeah, give me Ooh. my beer. Uh, but not to interrupt. Sorry about that. No, it's all good. Um, what were we talking yeah, about? Yeah, I... So the Switch for me is absolutely one of my favorite Nintendo consoles to date. I think uh, they did so well with combining a lot of the original ideas they had for the Wii U into an actual palatable software palette and hardware palette. So like the, the Wii U's biggest suffering, I think, in my opinion, was... Uh, it's it's marketing like they just mm -hmm. they didn't market it very well and so it suffered yes. greatly even though it was actually a legitimately good console like the yeah. Wii U is also one of the greater consoles I think it was way better than the Wii and you know it's unfortunate that it suffered so hard but mm -hmm. when they announced the Switch and then the Switch came out and you know we got to play all of the fantastic games that have been released on it so far I think they they took everything that they wanted to do with the Wii U and they perfected it with the Switch, and it's been fantastic so far. Now, my only uh, you know Nintendo forever you know since the GameCube, uh, or sorry, since after the GameCube, has always suffered in terms of the hardware specs aspect of console gaming, and where their systems have always been behind curve, so to speak. Uh, they, this was not true with the GameCube. The GameCube was actually Hardware-wise, the most advanced console on the market at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, but ever since then, they kind of lagged behind. Now, Xbox, or sorry, Microsoft and Sony have both done streaming, like software streaming to their, to their consoles. And those consoles currently outdo the Switch in terms of hardware performance, and they suffer when, doing, when streaming those titles. So I don't. I think that while it is while Dave is right, it's absolutely a good option. I think it's a waste of resources, and I think that that it could be the resources and the money could be better spent towards developing other things. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't think it's worth it. Chris, do you have a stake in this argument? I don't particularly have a stake in this argument. Uh, I mostly agree with what Taylor said. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't disagree with what you're saying, Taylor. I'm just thinking, it's, you know, I, I don't like I said, unless Nintendo is willing to invest the money now into developing another new console so quickly after what, what looks like trajectory wise might be their best selling console ever if it's not already. Uh, I, I, I think it's the the smart option necessarily. I 
Yeah, I I hundred percent see where you're coming from, and I and I agree with you. Like again, I don't I don't think it's a bad option. I think that because they're committed to doing it, so they're going to do it. It's not like me saying, you know, it's a waste right. of resources going to stop it. But right. you know, and for what it's worth, it will be great as an option for those people. However, comma, I also say that, you know, the. The Switch really only needs kind of what Xbox or sorry Microsoft and Sony do occasionally with their with their consoles create a, a kind of halfway stop between the original release and the next generation. So you know, call it the Switch Pro or the Switch Hand Hand Stop, whatever you want to call it. Like you know, they they could absolutely do a technical upgrade to the Switch without causing a whole lot of problems, and I think that would have been a better investment of their money than, uh, than doing this because then they're at least the Switch 2.0 would potentially be hardware appropriate or sorry hardware spec appropriate to, you know, the current generation consoles or the next generation of consoles, and sure. then they can do more with it in the long term. Definitely a lot to think about. Uh, should we move switch on to you. Yes. <laughs> the Switch X. From the uh, Nintendo yeah. Direct, there was a trailer for Bravely Default 2, uh, which addressed uh, some of the things that they learned from uh, feedback from the demo of that game, which came out, which everybody noted was hard as balls. Uh, Nintendo's Dark Souls. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. It was like... Although that's not really a thing since Dark Souls is on Switch. Hmm. Right. <laughs> um, it's what the Switch has games. <laughs> what? <laughs> so, uh, you guys any more excited for this after the trailer or is this even on your radar? Yes, in like two years <laughs> when I have time to play it. Right. I'm not sure where I stand on this one because like... I really, really loved Octopath Traveler, but from the demo, like, the gameplay feels like it's a step back from Octopath Traveler, but at the same time, what I'm hearing from people is it feels like a natural step forward from the original Bravely Default. But what that kind of says to me is that the original Bravely Default, because I, I didn't play that game, is that the original Bravely Default kind of stepped forward towards Octopath Traveler, and also stepped forward towards this, but in different ways. So it f it's it's weird. I'm in a weird spot because I only played Octopath Traveler, and it and the, a step back from that. The original Bravely Default had a point where they basically made you replay the game multiple times. So mm. I'm hoping they would not continue with that. It does sound annoying. Yeah. I, I think uh, we also need to keep in mind, though, that, you know, just because a game shares a developer as other games, so like Bravely Default and Octopath are developed by the same people, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that those two games are meant to be the same. That's so, true. Sure. You know, as, as, as much as... because it shares so many similarities for me, is, is kind of my beef, that it's like, it's so similar, but what is different feels like a step back. So and like and that's totally fair. For me to kind of go in, although yeah. if it's not quite as balls difficult as it was in the trailer or in the uh, original demo, then maybe maybe I'd be more into it. I'm not sure. I, I, that's totally fair. I think 
I think that's definitely something you should think about. But I, at the same time, too, like we have to keep in mind, too, with with game developers, like there there are quite a few game developers out there who just kind of like specialize in one type of game, you know, whether it be RPGs or action games, yeah. stuff like that. And a lot of their titles will tend to be similar to one another with minor differences and things like that. I mean, just just look at FromSoft. Dark Souls, Dark Souls 2, Dark Souls 3, and Bloodborne, and Sekiro, and likely Elden Ring coming out. Never. Uh, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they all play very, very similarly to one another. But there are enough differences in them, you know, whether it's the story, the themes, or, you know, like a, a thing like Sekiro, where it takes the fundamental concepts of Dark Souls and Bloodborne and changes them up mm-hmm. a little bit. So I think that, you know, as long as we're keeping that in mind, like, it's better to look at the games as they are. So instead of comparing Bravely Default to Octopath Traveler, I'd rather compare Bravely Default 2 to the original and just see what the differences are and not not factor in the fact that Octopath exists and was the middle child. Right. It's like the awkward step-sibling that you're not sure has the same mother. Mm Mm-hmm. That was literally Bloodborne, and then everybody was like, this is the best freaking Dark Souls title ever. <laughs> and I was like, yes, perfect. Right. Uh, speaking of developers doing something different, uh, HAL Laboratory announced and uh, Shadow dropped their new game, Part-Time UFO. Uh, Part-Time UFO. Part-Time UFO, yeah. You, you play this UFO like you- from space that takes odd jobs on earth to make money so you're you're literally like a, a ufo and you fly around and pick stuff up and you have to stack it or put it in the back of a truck or or just move stuff and it's this weird physics based puzzle game and so does that mean you're only slightly unidentified or you're only slightly a flying object or you're only slightly an object i'm, I'm really unsure about the partly here i think it's part time like you're you're only working as this mover part-time, but yeah. the rest of the time you're trying to take over the world. So it's like Batman, but in a UFO? You're like a part-time vigilante? Or a part-time <laughs> unidentified yeah. flying object? Yeah, except think that works. instead of beating up bad guys, you pick up people's shit and put it in the back of their truck because they're too dumb to do it themselves. Or people. <laughs> or people. It showed stacking cheerleaders. It, it so, wait. Stacking cheerleaders. <laughs> so, so, so are we calling this game a mashup between Destroy All Humans and... Uh, Conor um, Yes, exactly. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> uh, that's kind of what it seems like. Also, I want to point out that it's weird how many Japanese properties are based around strange things being part-time workers. Like, the devil is a part-timer. It's it's a cultural thing. It's like, it's applying normalcy to the weird and the not normal. Well, it's a... a, Think of it like a a phasmophobia, where you're like a ghost hunter, where like, you know, the completely supernatural you have... It's not normal in any way, but you're applying normalcy to it by saying, oh, it's it's a job that people have being ghost hunters, which is true. But that's like a thing. Right, that's people what I'm saying. It, do it, for TV, yeah. But but it, but again, you know, where do you think that comes from? Like, do you think that's because 
people think that, you know, the supernatural is normal or do they think that we trying to figure it out and we're trying to apply some normalcy to it and establish it as being reality or non non-reality? I think if the supernatural were to exist, we would eventually categorize it and just treat it as natural. This is the yep. deepest conversation that has ever happened on this podcast, so I'm going to say you have to drink. Although I don't think it would extend quite to the point of, like, literal Satan being a part-time worker. Mm-mm. But it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely a cultural thing that happens in Japan a lot. Like, if you look at, if you look at a lot of pop culture stuff in Japan, what is it a lot? It's anime, it's weird things, it's mishmashing whatever they can, mishmashing Western concepts with old ancient Eastern ideas. It's just it's just making things weird, but somehow making some sense. Or just being so out there that it seems okay. It, it, it's, it's like a phenomenon, not, not a phenomenon so to speak, but more like a a way of kind of like stepping out of the the rigid shell that is constructed in the, in in Japan society and where it allows them to kind of like express these wild ideas that normally would just be weird in conversations on the street between people so it's almost a form of well escapism exactly yeah okay all right final thing from the uh Nintendo Direct uh, was my most hyped moment because uh, I'm a little bit of a No More Heroes fan. Uh, no More Heroes yeah. 3 got a trailer, and uh, these two games are now available on Nintendo Switch. Uh, so if you don't have them on Wii or are a lazy bastard like me and don't want to set them up on Wii, you can now play them on Switch instead. Bum, 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 bum. Definitely one of the best game series to ever be made. Yeah, this game, like, I played about an hour earlier today, and it is so fucking wacky, and I love it so much. I have forgotten how much I love this series, because Travis <coughs> Strikes Again was like, it kind of scratched that itch, but it wasn't quite as over-the-top and hilarious as the original two. Uh, it's so, the in-between stepchild. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, Travis Strikes Again is, is still a pretty good game, so if you're interested in that, then check that out. It's not too expensive. Uh, I, I even have a physical copy because I'm a badass. Uh, but, yeah, um, definitely a game series worth checking out. Uh, and they're on sale right now. They shadow dropped those on Nintendo Switch, uh, and they are on sale currently for 10% off. So I think they're only like $17.99 or something. Uh, so that's not too bad. Um, uh, $17.99 each. Um, so I am super excited to be diving back into these again, because, uh, you know, No More Heroes 3 got pushed back to next year, unfortunately, but, you know, like we said, uh, don't be a dick when it comes to delays. So, uh, some, who's, some of the who's riding games the hype train made. with me? Me, for sure. Fuck yeah. I'll, I'll hype you. I, I'm, I'm a bad gamer. I'd never even heard of the series until people were whining about it or crying about it for Smash, wanting Travis and Smash. I've so, been saying I'm a bad Travis gamer. and Smash since fucking Brawl, and like finally it caught like attention in this generation, and people were thinking it was going to happen. And then he was a me fighter costume, and I'm so happy that he's in, but I'm still a little salty about it. It's kind of like what they did with Sand. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so and yet, yet Steve is in my is in uh, Smash. Right? Yeah, what the hell is up with that? 
<laughs> I, guess I, I actually you know, don't want to open that can of worms. Because <laughs> because as much as I love these games, it's it's a weird niche series. Uh, Is it though? Because it's sold remarkably well. Uh, I, I always feel like it's a niche series because, like, I very seldom find anybody to talk to that is like, yes, I have played those games. And, you know, I feel like I, a I, lot of people... I feel like have, I feel like that's Final Fantasy fans calling Final Fantasy VIII a neat game despite it selling better than Final Fantasy VII originally mm -hmm. did. Which is kind of crazy to me because I'm like, I, I, lo I love Final Fantasy VIII, but I'm willing to admit it was definitely the worst of the PS1 generation. Ooh, I, I'm I'm gonna uh, not no, me. It, it, <laughs> I mean, this is this is coming from someone who actively really liked Final Fantasy VIII. Oh, I mean, I mean, I love Final Fantasy VII, and I love the Final Fantasy series in general. But I I still to this day think eight is among the best Final Fantasies ever to be released, and it's my personal much of favorite. Eight or nine, so. I felt like 8 was... My brother played more 8 than I did, and I kind of got, like, the same sort of vibe he did early in the game, and it kind of turned me off, because he was saying, like, late in the game, there was literally still no purpose to not just, like, use the Guardian Force to roll over everything, and it kind of defeated the purpose of having all these cool characters in your party. And so Did I was he play the same game I did? From that. Because... The GFs in the game are actually some of the least powerful elements. Hmm. And in Final Fantasy, what he like, told me, and I kind of got that feeling from playing with it, like just the little bit I did, so I didn't play very long. It well, eight, eight is one of those. I get. I don't know if it, I would say it's rare, actually, but eight was one of those games where it kind of it confused some people because they realized that the stronger that they got, you know, the enemies weren't getting any easier. Because the enemies scale with you, Final mm. Fantasy VIII. So the stronger you get, the harder the game actually is. Mm. So a lot of what a lot of speedrunners will do is they you'll see them finish the game at like level fifteen or twenty because it's actually easier to do it that way. Mm. Um, but no, in eight, like you had some very specific characters who were obscenely overpowered if you built them the right way, mm -hmm. and uh, the GFs. Like, the summoning of GFs was actually not one of the stronger elements of the game in terms of, like, being able to just wash through everything. It was, it was how, how you junctioned them to your party. What I remember about the game was you could bind, you could cast Aura, and then you just had to hit Triangle until everybody got a limit break. Yes. You, you could do that, but Aura is also one of the rarest spells to find in the game. Like, you can't even get Aura until the later two-thirds of the game. Yeah, I well, I guess that kind of trivialized the game for me. Oh yeah, you know there there were definitely some really cheesy strats <laughs> you could do in eight to make things stupid easy. Yeah. Um, but if you play normally, and like if you play like most people or the average person playing through a Final Fantasy game, I think eight is pretty challenging. Okay, it's something that I've always kind of meant to give a go again. I I tried to get into Final Fantasy 9 again on an emulator and it wasn't doing it, it was just awkward because it was on an emulator I felt like and I didn't care for the controls on my phone uh, mm. so I now that those are all on switch and and stuff I think actually some of them are even on Xbox game pass for PC so I've been meaning to go back and check those out too but it's one of those I, things that I've never got around it, to yet 
if I were you, I would play it on Steam. The not not the remake version, but the original. The remake is fine, but like it makes mm -hmm. some things weird. Okay. Uh, but the original Steam release of it, all you have to do is kind of patch the audio because the music got screwed up somehow in the mm -hmm. Steam version. But other than that, it's like it's basically the exact same as the original PS One one, and it's okay. it's fabulous. Yeah, might check that out then. <coughs> all right, so that's all for the news and booze. Uh, shall we get into our video game topic? Oh, let's. Uh-oh. All right. So uh, <laughs> our first video game topic, because today we're just going to do two video game topics for fun, because uh, uh, I just want to talk about Breath of the Wild, the whole fucking podcast, and it's going to be great. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> uh, so we're going to be talking about why Breath of the Wild has the best story ever, and our two guests are totally wrong. <laughs> kidding, I love you guys, but you're I'm wrong. actually I'm gonna enjoy this. This is a two on two v two. Is it? Are you are you on board with me having Breath of the Wild? I the I best don't story think ever? it's the okay. I'll say I don't think it's the best story ever. I feel like it's a good example of environmental storytelling and game design. Mm -hmm. I don't disagree with that, yeah, but that's fair. I have comments, yeah. <laughs> And that's exactly why we brought these guys on, actually. We started on a, a little bit of a Twitter discussion, and we were like, hey, wait a minute, this could make a cool podcast. Let's uh, let's get you guys on. So We lit oh. Twitter on fire for like an hour. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was fun. <clears throat> yeah, so uh, let's light this podcast on fire. Um, so who, who wants to go first? Uh, <laughs> who's going to fire the first shell? Uh, I will. I'll go ahead and do this. I've I've done it on another podcast that I've been on before. So, mm -hmm. I Breath of the Wild had me so hyped with the 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 E3 trailer, the one that was you know where it showed off the voice acting and all the characters, and it was it was this moment of I remember I was I was at work and I watched it, and my coworkers around me were like, "Are you okay?" And I was like. No, I'm 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 so I'm I'm over the top. I was so excited. I was because I was picturing it. This is going to be not only the you know the greatest Zelda ever potentially, but it's going to it's going to show me everything I've always wanted out of a Zelda game. You know that I always thought Nintendo would never give me. You know it's going to be this this full on everything mattered every moment would be impactful all these characters would be super deep and i would know everything about them and i would care about them i i looked at it like this is going to be the, the what what some people would say the final fantasy 7 of zelda like i was looking at it like this is going to take everything that i love about ocarina of time and put it into a cinematic story driven plot important moment and then I played it, and I felt like, okay, where is where 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 is all this? Where is all this stuff that I I saw in this trailer? And granted, I was um I was probably over expecting from it at that point, but when I played it, I was like, this is a lot of fun. Where is everything else? Where is everything that 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 trailer built me up to believe was coming? Where was, you know, I, I thought I was going to be, am I going into battle with Daruk? Am I going into battle with, you know, the, these champions by my side? I never got it. 
and I was, and I, you know, and I, and I was, it was, I saw what they were doing when I, after I started playing it and I felt, okay, I, I, I this is fine. This is okay. It's not what I was hoping for. It's not the, I like the story, but I don't like how I have to get to it. I don't like having to, I didn't like necessarily having to, not that I wanted it, you know, told to me directly. I understood that they were doing open world and that made sense and it was fine. But I wanted something more. I wanted to, I wanted to be invested in these characters. If they died, that's fine. I'm okay with characters dying. I, I in, in certain points, I like that. It's necessary. It brings the right emotion. But when I started playing it, and I realized, oh, these characters are already dead. You know, I it, it's not like I'm, you know, it's not like I'm fighting necessarily for them. I am, but I'm. I don't have the emotional connection. I don't have the emotional connection to the story. I don't have the emotional connection to this world. I don't. That that was what was missing for me, and that's why it. it you know, the story was fine, but I couldn't connect with it. Hmm. Couldn't feel like I it, it couldn't make me care enough to the point where this matters to me you know the, this this town matters to me these ruins matter to me they didn't and that 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 bothered me and that's why it never it, it could never be what I wanted it to be so to speak I don't if that makes sense oh yeah no so I I'm gonna tack on slightly to that um and just to give give kind of a, a con contextual example for what david's saying in that they essentially relied upon you being an extreme fan of zelda already in order to make the game and the story work because if you if you look at a lot of people who just played the game who are not like typical Zelda fans or they're just they're just gamers in general like the, and this you could see this a lot on Twitch with a lot of people who stream the game first came out is that they had a lot of people who were not Zelda fans originally but were just playing the game to play the game because it was the biggest hit a lot of them had the same opinions where they're like why am I doing all this this none of this makes sense and I don't understand what's my motivation uh, yeah like right. what's my motivation why am I doing this yeah, a lot of these areas are cool. A lot of these mechanics work really well because, I mean, it's Nintendo. Nintendo polishes their games to no end and makes them all play pretty damn close to flawlessly. But there's more to games, I think, especially in the modern age, than just a game playing well in order to make it a good game. So that's just the minor bit of context I was going to add to Dave. I, yeah, and I agree with that. I kind of get that. Um... I feel like, personally, I was never looking for a reason to play the game. I feel like that was always presented to me. I feel like, actually, every single thing that, Dave, you were kind of saying you were expecting from the game, uh, with the, you know, character importance and the plot importance, I feel like I got literally all of that out of this game. Uh, and more so than I do out of the average game. I don't think it's my favorite story out of any game, uh, but I think it's one of the best stories, and it's told in a way that makes it more impactful by 
presenting itself through the gameplay because it doesn't feel like you know any other game where it's like okay you go you know here to here to here you see the cutscenes or there's dialogue at this point and this point and you you're just kind of you know at, at that point it's very similar to just watching a movie which is a good way of telling a story but you're not experiencing that story and I feel like very few games for me have really ever felt like I was experiencing a story and Breath of the Wild is absolutely one of them where it, it feels every single moment in the entire game feels like it's a personal experience to me uh, especially with the non-linearity of it because every especially like right at the time when it came out I was talking to you know people everybody was talking about this game when it came out and their experiences with it and everybody was talking about a different experience they're like oh i had this thing happen in this shrine or oh i was fighting a moblin or oh i went to hyrule castle early oh i was in this completely different area that you've never even heard of and mm -hmm. no two stories were even similar much less the same and that's that's not something that any other game can say i feel like even in open world games that is very rare to have anything close to that level of difference and that level of personal connection with the game. Uh, and to the point of where it makes the story better, I feel like the way it presents itself just lends itself well to storytelling through gameplay because, y you know, when you want this story, you go out and you seek it and you can find it in so many different ways that... To me, it, it comes out as much better than any other game, because any other game, you have one way to get the story, which is to go to where the story is and do whatever you have to do for the story. You do the one specific thing, whereas Breath of the Wild, you're getting the story pieces in different locations through different means. You're getting it through just bits of lore here and there scattered about. You're getting it through the Champion's Diaries. You're getting it through memories. You're getting it through some of these cutscenes where you go to specific point and you get specific cutscene, and that's fine, but they're all out of order, and it kind of... It, it lends itself again back to that personal experience where uh, the way that you see the story will differ f from everybody. And so you'll kind of get a different amount of understanding on this part of the story before this part where another person might get them in a different order. And to me, that just heightens everything about the gameplay and everything about the story. I'm going to provide a real simple counter to that. Um, you... You pointed out that you think that, or in your experience, it's been you've seen very little games that do that have the same effect that Breath of the Wild had, right? Mm -hmm. The storytelling, the way that you experienced it, and how no two people really experience it the same way. Mm -hmm. So yes, I do agree that uh, Breath of the Wild is an enormous game in terms of its scope and where you can go and what things will happen in different areas. That kind of hundred percent. Um, and that is definitely much easier to do in a, in a more open world game. However, having played games similar to Breath of the Wild in many ways um, over the course of gaming history, I can say that pretty much almost nothing that Breath of the Wild does is original in any way. Uh, with in, in regards to specifically, I'm going to talk about the story part and with you experiencing different things. 
a, a game series that has done basically what Breath of the Wild tried to do with its story has been doing it for almost a decade before uh, Breath of the Wild tried it is the Soulsborne series. And where the entirety of the Soulsborne series is it's very little in your face story. It's all you create a character, you're presented a world, and you're expected to make your way through it. If you look and if you put pieces together and you be a little detective, you can get overall a glimpse of a very, very deep and complex story. And it's one of those games where if you go on YouTube, you can find thousands of videos of different people. Mostly body, I mean, Thotty's definitely one of them, but I would say there are many, many people, including him, who do these kinds of things. But they uh all trying to piece the lore together, and no single one of them has the same understanding of the story. They all arrive at different places, or they arrive in general same place, but they get there differently through different pieces of lore, through different artifacts, all that kind of stuff. And Bloodborne... Dark Souls, Sekido, they're all very linear games. They're not open world. Yes, you can go a lot of different places, you know, at different times. Um, but there it's very linear. Like you have to do certain things in order to progress through the story. You have to you will fight all the same bosses if you know at least all the required bo same bosses. You can find it, you know, different ones. You know, not everybody will get every single item, not everybody will go to every single place, but you will go through generally the same gameplay. Right. But everybody arrives at different conclusions about what, what took place in their playthrough, what took place in their minds of what the story was. Mm -hmm. And yes, Breath of the Wild does the same thing, or tries to do the same thing. I just don't think that they did it nearly as well. And they could have. Okay, um, so that's a little bit of a weird point because I haven't played very much. I've played a little bit of Dark Souls 3, and that's the only experience I have with any of these games. Uh, but I would at the very least put forth the idea that just because a game series did it first doesn't mean that Breath of the Wild did it worse particularly. Now, you say it did. Well, I'm not, I, I'm not saying that either. I, 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 what I am saying, I'm saying that, yes, they did happen to do it first, but I also think that they happened to do it better. Yeah, and, and that's my overall point. I feel like that's a fair, you know, opinion to have. But another counter I would have to that is that I feel like the average Dark Souls player is not playing it for that. I feel like the average Dark Souls player that I have talked to over the years is playing it because they get a hard-on for saying, I played this game and it's harder than Zelda. Fuck you. Sure, but I don't think the average Zelda player plays Zelda for the story either. That's true. That's, that's a good point. So I, I don't I, play I, I kind of want to shift things. <laughs> I, I kind of want to shift things a little bit on you here. Uh, and what uh, Can you think of any particulars in why you would call Breath of the Wild a worse example of environmental storytelling than uh let's say the original dark souls because that's the one i hear everyone talk about uh so um, same, same thing with me on with sean is i only played the sure. first dark souls a little bit I, I didn't really play much else i i played mostly dark souls 2 3 and bloodborne and bloodborne is my favorite in the series so that's the one that i use for reference but it all applies the same way because they all play very similar in that in okay. those terms um so with Breath of the Wild and uh, Bloodborne, Dark Souls, Soulsborne, whatever, 
in particular, I would say, so Breath of the Wild, a lot of its story comes from the books you find, the very, very, very short conversations you have with different characters, and um, uh, I already said the books, uh, the weapons and items that you find all usually have a short snippet of information mm -hmm. uh, in Breath of the Wild. That is all literally the exact same as the Soulsborne series. Okay. You, it's it, the same same type of storytelling, same type of, you know, this is how the story is told kind of thing. You know, Breath of the Wild actually takes a little bit further in certain regards in terms of, like, having full-on uh, certain cutscenes are fairly long and fairly detailed in conversations, whereas in Soulsborne, if there is a cutscene, it's usually mostly visual storytelling, or if there is a conversation with a character... The conversation lasts usually fifteen to twenty seconds, which is similar to most Breath of the Wild uh, conversations, with the exception of the main story points, like talking to Mifa or talking, you know, doing the memories and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So th those two are almost the exact same. Like if you side by side compared them, mm -hmm. same same type of story. Type. D but, I'm not disagreeing okay. with you on that. But so uh, in, so in where I would say that. Soulsborne does it better is that where Soulsborne has that kind of stuff, usually it's just better at telling that. So, like, between from the visuals, so like when you first encounter a boss arena and you, you know, encounter the boss and you look around and there's story elements everywhere in that. And Breath of the Wild does the same thing. Again, I'm not saying that Breath of the Wild doesn't do these things, just that it doesn't do it as well. Um, so, like the items, uh, usually you need a couple of items together in order to piece a full story of something. So usually when you're looking at an item set in Soulsborne, you got to look at all the items to get the full picture, as well as put the context together with where you found it and who you were talking to or who you fought last kind of thing. Breath of the Wild does it, does the same thing again, but on a much smaller scale. And I think that's to... To Breath of the Wild's detriment, because the story of Breath of the Wild overall is pretty bare bones to begin with. So when you don't, when you rely on contextual storytelling, but don't put a whole lot of context in that contextual storytelling, it falls flatter than, say, Soulsborne, where they put a lot of context as long as you're willing to put in the work to find it. So is what you're getting at more like how Souls every, like, uh, item and souls kind of has a little descriptor attached to it. Uh, that's one of the ways, yes. Okay. Uh, the other way is through certain, some loading, depending on which game you're playing, load screens, then also, you know, actually exploring through an area, you know, the boss battles you fight, the, the minor conversations you have with different characters and stuff like that. Like, you gotta work hard to put the story together and, and like, you can get the overall story of a Soulsborne game fairly easily, but, like, to get the complexities of the story, you gotta work for it. And I feel Breath of the Wild, again, is the same way, it's just, I don't think it's done to the same thoroughness. Yeah, I was gonna say, because pretty much what you're describing, I feel like, is how I feel about Breath of the Wild, and again, it's hard to compare, because I've barely touched the Soulsborne series, but, um, now what I'm kind of wondering is, you say that it's great in Soulsborne, and you say that it's not as good in Breath of the Wild, but uh, what makes it bad in Breath of the Wild, then? Well, okay, so, again, I think this is maybe a miscommunication we had 
on on Twitter. I don't think Breath of the Wild is a bad game by any stretch of the imagination. I love Breath Same. of the Wild. I I love playing it. I think it has one of the most phenomenal gameplay of any Zelda game to date. However, yes. right. However, the, my biggest issue with with Breath of the Wild is some serious faults in how it goes about being a game. So, from its story to uh, story and sound or music are two of the biggest things. And I can compare both the Soulsborne series in both of those aspects as well to Breath of the Wild. Um, I think Breath of the Wild basically tried to it, because I. It, Nintendo has not tried to do, at least with the Zelda series, something of this scale to what they're trying to do really ever, especially with the Zelda series. Mm -hmm. And I think that they looked at very certain, and they even admitted it in some interviews, that they looked to certain video game series for inspiration on how to do it. I don't think they ever mentioned Soulsborne, but I know that Witcher 3 was was used as an example yeah, of Skyrim. Yeah, they were um, talking about Skyrim at least. Was right. I remember yeah. And, and I think they do a very, very good job of emulating those games, of, of taking all those concepts and putting it together into one game and running with it. But this is something I've always said, and it's something I said in the Champions cast, it's something I've said in many of the articles I used to write for Zelda Dungeon, is that Breath of the Wild tries to emulate... And it's more like a beta. It's like they were testing the waters to see if they could do it and do it well. And yep. you know, and I and I loved it. I did. But if I were to, would I say it's the you know the greatest game ever? Hell no, because I've seen other games do the same thing and do it better. Do I think it's a fantastic step in the right direction for Zelda? Hundred percent, one thousand percent agree. And I think right. that. And you're, I take it you're not really open to the greater than the sum of its parts argument. I am, I am, if it, if I could justify it, but I can't, because I don't think it's greater than the sum of the parts, because the parts are a little too disjointed, and they don't do each part individually well enough to make it add up to the right sum, you know? That's funny, because oh. I completely disagree there, because I think, you know, yeah. I think individually each part is, you know... It, it, there was an argument, I, I think, right around the time it came out that, oh, every mechanic it does has been done before by some game or another. Uh, obviously, open world has been done before. You know, the you know some people compared it to the Soulsborne. A, a lot of people compared the climbing mechanic to, like, the Assassin's Creed. I bet it, I bet, I bet it even like has that. hit points. So, so, hold on. I, I do agree. I do agree that Breath of the Wild... Again, like I said, is is a great game, and I do think that it's um, like it, if I were to look at each individual part and say, did they put effort? Did they, you know, I'm not looking for it to be original as long as the final product meets or surpasses my expectations. And unfortunately, and again, this might be because Nintendo is usually hit or miss with their marketing strategy, and uh, I feel like this was a big problem for Dave, and where the game he was marketed was not the game that he got. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, I That's think that that is partly is... to blame. I think some, like, just certain design choices, I wish they had made a little differently. Hmm. So, uh, like, the sound design. This is a big issue I have with the game. The sound of Breath of the Wild and the music of Breath of the Wild is one of the most phenomenal uh, pieces that I've I've heard and 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 felt in video games. Like, every piece of music in Breath of the Wild is spectacular. 
the sound design of all like you know the weapons of you know the environment everything all the aesthetics incredible mm -hmm. but it's such a huge design flaw that they're like we're gonna make it so you hear this stuff so very sparingly that you yep. have to actively seek it out in order to enjoy it yes i, know, I thought that was oh, no. to its benefit in the sound design at least um i was not as much a fan of the music for that reason but for the sound design for all the little subtleties here and there with the you know uh the aesthetics they, they actually, and know, the theming yeah, that kind of thing, and and all the little sound effects that you wouldn't even think would have a sound effect. Like, who would bother to make a sound effect for a Moblin picking its nose? Yeah, who would? It's bother, great. You know, and and, oh, and, yeah. and they went to extraordinary extents. They actually had a a team, I think, of like twelve people that just went out and hung out with horses for like six mm. weeks, just recording horse noises. Of yeah, it's, it's how Red Dead did the same thing. Them. Yeah, it's how Red Dead did the same thing. Like uh, all their horses are the best horses you've ever seen in video gaming because they did that. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Stay, yeah. Brother Wild is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and so for that, I actually really, really appreciate the sound design because it's like you don't notice it all the time, but when you do, you're just like, now that's cool attention of detail. Yeah, that that kind of uh -huh. thing. Uh, for the music, I think is done. It it has a similar feel to that sometimes, but other times I feel like. It's just not Zelda-y enough. I actually wrote an article for this on uh, Two Guys Playing Zelda where I kind of looked through the music for this game uh, compared to how Koji Kondo, you know, the classic Zelda composer who was pretty much the guy that made Zelda music until, you know, uh, mm -hmm. you know even through Majora's Mask and, and was a huge influence in Twilight Princess. He was pretty much, you know most of the zelda music team almost he's still yeah. working with it by the way yeah, he, is, he hasn't yeah. stopped yeah <laughs> uh but, he, but he's not, let's not uh, talk about him like he's dead jesus right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> please, please no no please no <laughs> but he's he's not the main guy anymore and i feel like his direction would have been maybe a little different and the way that he went with direction in video game music uh particularly for the zelda games you know always felt more iconic to me uh like in uh he was a big influence in twilight princess where you know every theme was the same theme but it was changed just a little bit to fit the area it was in and stuff like it's that. very it's very hans zimmer yeah this like if you thing. if you ever listen to hans zimmer's like music soundtracks and stuff like that you know mm. how he's incredible and often compared to john williams it's because mm. he does the same thing he creates a, a base theme that goes for the entire project and then he tweaks it depending on what the scene is. Yeah. I one thing I would compare Koji Kondo like it'd be more for video games is I think Koji Kondo is Nintendo's version of Nobuo Uematsu for Sony and Final Fantasy. Which is like, funny because Nobuo Uematsu, I, I feel like they're very different. They they compose in a totally different way. A hundred percent, but they are. But like, it, when you think of Zelda, you think of Koji Kondo in terms yep. of music. When you oh, think yeah. of Final yeah, Fantasy, yeah. you think of Nobuo Uematsu. Yeah, like it's just that's the name that comes to mind. Or Star Wars, John Williams. Yeah, you know, nobody it's, nobody or, remembers that the prequels, you know, switched to uh, uh, what's his name? The prequels and pre prequels were done by John Williams too. Every it's, single Star Wars movie has been composed by John Williams. Yeah, hold on. What was it? Are we including the there Disney was, ones? Or? 
Yes, including including the sequels, yep. and yep. to the point now where John Williams has refused to do another Star Wars movie. <laughs> uh, probably for the best. Yeah, there was some Star but, yeah. Wars something that that had a different composer, and now I'm. Uh, you're probably the Mandalorian. It was the, it was the guy. You're, yeah, Rogue you're One. It was or the, Rebels. Yeah. Or like Clone Wars. Earlier than that, maybe it was Clone Wars or something. It was the guy that probably did the Clone Simpsons Wars. theme. I'm trying to, like, his name is blanking me right now. Uh, uh, so he's a good composer, but it, it it just wasn't John Williams. Well, so the example I was going to bring to mind is that, uh, like, just the other night, kind of almost sort of in preparation for this, and also because I needed new wallpapers for my for my desktop. But uh, I was playing with Steam's wallpaper engine because, you know, you can do, like, animated wallpapers and stuff like that. So some of them come with sounds. So I found a couple of Zelda ones, and one of them just has basically Breath of the Wild music set to it. So I was just like, cool, I'll, I'll listen to that for a little while while I do some work. And it struck me once again, because, again, like, this is something that I thought when I first was playing the game. But it struck me again, as like, how good the music was. And I was like, but I don't, like... I would love to actually be hearing this a lot of the times. Like, I can remember all the places where I started hearing the music and the different pieces that I was hearing. I was like, oh. why was I not hearing this all the time? Because I would love just running through Breath of the Wild with no goal whatsoever. Am, just am running around. To, am I going to have to be the guy who says that I actually yeah. really liked the way Breath of the Wild approached music as kind sure. of like an atmosphere? That's I'll, I'll, be the middle, I'll be the middle ground in this. I think they did it fine. I don't think they did it great. Right. That's I, kind of I where love because I, I feel like they kind of like they did what they did for a reason, and it kind of worked. But yeah. I would have rather had some giant, great, bombastic theme for the field, you know, and stuff like there, that. There should have been. I feel like there should have been more moments where I felt like I was playing the Zelda game in terms of just listening to the sound, yeah. listening to the music. You know, you know, to me, I think of, you know, riding across Hyrule Field, either in, either in Ocarina of Time or Twilight Princess and, or in Majora's Mask right across Termina Field. And, you know, having that music there, I don't necessarily feel like Breath of the Wild needed the music all the time because I feel like that would have... That would have felt weird. It would have felt forced in a world this big. No, I, I'm not saying that either. I, I just right. More. But there, there, there are ways that they could have maybe done it that would have been better. And now I'm, I'm going to bring up an, an example that isn't really an example of one that did it better, but did it differently. And that would be um, Death Stranding, where you would be walking and all of a sudden you would have music come in based on where you were and it was you know it wasn't it didn't feel necessarily overbearing but it didn't feel out of place like when you walk you know you're climbing up this hill and you've been climbing up there for maybe maybe a few minutes and it was you know dead silent you were just listening to norman Reedus grunt as he's holding this pack on his back <laughs> and then all of a sudden and then and then all of a sudden you know this this soft indie music kicks in and you're like Oh, okay, music, and it, 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 but it didn't feel bad. It didn't feel weird. It wasn't necessarily, you know, I, I don't think it was perfect. I don't think it was, you know, the greatest example ever. But I think it was fine, and I, I think Breath of the Wild could have done something maybe a little bit more like that, and it would have felt more Zelda-y 
or at least given us that feeling of, okay, this is still a Zelda game with that Zelda classic Zelda soundtrack where, mm-hmm. okay, I'm walking into Kakariko Village, but I'm, you know, it's still in the distance. And there was some of that yeah. with like Tano Village and Kakariko Village did have their own themes. But and and Terrytown, but because the world was so big, there was so much silence and or or just natural sound. Yeah, just kind of Again, ambient not, music was how. Yeah, like, most of. The or if you're riding a horse, you know, you got that, and yeah, but it just that was my horse. big dig is that I really hate the horse theme. It sounds literally like. Uh, the composer was just like slapping the piano what, at random places. What's funny about that is terrifying. the. What's funny about that is the um, the Breath of the Wild soundtrack is music that we play for my son when he's going to sleep, and uh, he the last couple of, for a while now he's actually been having me skip those two songs. On the <laughs> I appreciate. I like daddy. He's just like daddy. Now is a bad time to bring up that. Because uh, I, really I like didn't even theme. realize it was <laughs> a theme, right? Right. When I was, I was just so like, hearing it. hey, there's music here at this place. I think it's music, but it's like, it's kind of quiet. It's hard to hear over the sound of the horse, which they put so much attention to detail into. And now they're trying to distract you by plinking random notes. <laughs> it's just shit. It's shit. <laughs> Chris, if you like this, you're drunk. Which I think it illustrates my. I'm totally sober. I would also like to point out that if I beat this boss, this will be the second time I have beat this game. Congrats. You are low on health. I'm very low on health. I'll probably die here. Don't die. I think what illustrates my opinion of the, the, the music in Breath of the Wild being a flaw more than a benefit, despite its overall quality is is a lot of what david said in that like you could hear music in certain places if you knew where to look but overall (laughs) where wherever you're going most of the time it's just dead silent now if this game if this game were a medieval uh ancient history playing through realism it would work really, really well because obviously that's very realistic you're in the middle of a field with nothing around you all you're going to hear is nature. You're not going to hear a, 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 a romping tune in the background to, to spur you on your adventures. But this is Zelda. This is a, a, a arguably a medieval fantasy game, but it's a fantasy game. Like, I'm not playing it, so I have to hear all the realism. I love the aesthetics of it, and I think that, you know, when you enter into a forest for the first time, you know, the fact that the, the music is subtle is great. So, like, you can focus on the environment. You can focus on the birds chirping in the distance or that moblin scratching its butt in, you know, the northwest corner. That's all fantastic, and and, and it does help. But the dead silence, it just, it, it it's so noticeable. And, you know, I would rather, like, when I enter, like, when you enter into, uh, when you leave the Great Plateau... Or when you uh, come out of the resurrection shrine, you hear that main theme, you know that, and you go through. Like it's like that's what I want to hear when I'm just running through the field. I don't want to yeah. hear dead silence. Mm-hmm. I actually, like I said, I appreciate like kind of the loneliness of it. To an yeah, extent, that, that, that is definitely what like they were going for. It doesn't have to always yeah. be lonely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not a Metroid game where the emphasis is on isolation. 
in in that sense. Didn't it's and there, it, there was I feel like they do the isolated yeah, but music it, like better because it's like it's ambient, but it's still like memorable. Sure. Like there's and I'm not saying any that memorable music. I mean, there's not, the, in, towns in Breath of the Wild. There, there's the uh, shrine scene. Mm. Yeah. That's okay. I, I, the, uh, I, I give it Castle bonus theme, points which... because it gets bagpipes. Yeah, like oh, the Hyrule Castle theme is a great example, Hyrule, though. Yeah. Why can't the rest of the fucking world have something like that where it's like setting the mood of what's going on here? The Hyrule Castle nope. theme is fucking epic. And yes. and if and if they really wanted to give you the idea that hey you're alone and we want you to feel like it. You didn't have to do that through music. You could literally just look towards Hyrule Castle anytime, see the freaking giant ga pig Ganon gaseous mm. form just swirling around, and know this world has been fucked up. And yeah. there's not a whole lot of people around. You're not going to be encountering a whole lot. You don't have to take away the music. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's evidence of how damaged the world is everywhere, and that right. that is that is to the benefit of the story is it does build that this world has been destroyed. Just you know, in my perspective, I don't care. You know, I, I care because mm -hmm. I know it's Hyrule. But if I weren't, you know, if I weren't already a, a Zelda you know, fan, a Zelda fan, it wouldn't have hit me as hard. It would have been like, okay, this is a this is a, this is just a generic um post-apocalyptic world because i'm gonna reference this back to uh because i feel like as a gamer like it's it, it is hard to put myself in a mindset because obviously i've been a zelda gamer literally pretty almost as long as i can remember and so it's it's hard to say oh if i didn't play zelda then i'd be like this but i feel like uh I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of compare it to Death Stranding again, uh, where, um, what was I saying? I lost my train of thought. Comparing it to Death Stranding, we're talking about yeah. music, sound, and the loneliness yeah. of Breath of the Wild. So the the storytelling through world building, I feel is is similar to both of these, and obviously Death Stranding is not a Zelda game, no. but it has similarities in the way that it tells the story. Uh, through just kind of exploring the world, you know, you're finding these random people interspersed throughout the world in their hidden bunkers. You're like exploring old broken towns in this post-apocalyptic world, and and everything you find is interesting, and it's there for a reason. And it's a little bit up to you whether or not you want to investigate or consider that reason. I'll I'll give you that. But I don't see why it's any worse than Death Stranding, and and I, I think both of these games were fantastic at this kind of just presenting you with a world and having all these subtle little things that you can look into and you can extrapolate a story, or you can uh, sometimes it's not necessarily like you're extrapolating the story that it totally is. In some cases, you know, it's just whatever the developer might have thought was a cool idea to put there, or the developer might have had a story behind why they put it there, or something like that. But there's all these little bits and pieces throughout the whole world that just add a little nick to the story, and it makes well, it they, more interesting thank you for bringing that up. through exploration. Thank you for bringing that up, because... Is 
I'm going to say something probably that's going to get me lynched by the Zelda community, but I felt that I got more uh, from the story of Breath of the Wild just watching the trailers and teasers than I did actually playing the game. All yes. right. And, yeah. And, <laughs> I'm with you. And, I'll defend and I, you. And I'll, and, I'll say, and I'll say this too, bringing back the comparison to, uh, it, for me, Bloodborne, is that when I watched the trailer for Bloodborne, I all I knew is that there were some furry beasts going around killing people and that the main character was likely going to be the one, you know, his job was to kill them. In Breath of the Wild, I knew almost everything from the start. Ganon fucked up the world. I'm probably playing as Link or a Zelda character. You even see Link in the trailer. You know, he's got new duds looking fly, shooting the ancient arrows at some guardians. We're going to fight some cyberpunk bullshit. Right. I'm all about this life. I get into the game and I play it. I'm like, that's all it is. <laughs> you know, it, when I play Bloodborne, Man, if I play the game and I don't do anything extra to find anything out, I don't read anything, I don't do anything, and I just play it straight through, I have no idea what I just fucking played. Because you, you don't get the explanation. You have to work for it. You play Breath of the Wild the same way. You start off, okay, Link died somehow. Or he was resurrected, or he was knocked the hell out. And he's been sleeping for 100 years. Zelda tells him, get the fuck up. Ganon's screwing everybody over. You gotta, you know, unite the four guardians and come save me. I'm like, cool. Do all that. Get there. Save her. Thanks, Link. Appreciate you helping me out. Game over. But there's so much more than that that you discover yes. through these subtleties is the thing. Yes. And yes. that's why but, I think that Breath of the Wild but, is one of the best stories ever because of these but subtleties. This is the, but that's the comparison I'm making, though. Do you understand? So... If I play Bloodborne the same exact way that I play Breath of the Wild, at, at the end of Breath of the Wild's conclusion, I will know everything that I need to know about the story. If I play Bloodborne from the start to the end, and I don't, and, and I do the exact same thing, that's it, I will know generally kind of what's going on. Like, something is happening, something has infected the villagers, there's all these monsters and Cthulhu shit going on. But that's about it. I'm not gonna know pretty much anything. But if I do do all that extra stuff, both in Breath of the Wild and in Bloodborne, said, Doo -doo. In, Breath of, in Breath of the Wild, I feel like, yes, I get a, I get a little bit more context for how everything, was how everything was destroyed. I get a little bit more context on how people are surviving. Uh, through this time and how they're going to try and rebuild. I get a little bit more context behind uh, behind the Guardians. Or sorry, not the Guardians. Uh, the um... Oh yeah, the Guardians. I get a little bit more context behind you know the Champions. And I understand a little bit. But again, a lot of that is just given to you through, through the cutscenes that you experience. The, the biggest piece of information that I found in Breath of the Wild that had the biggest impact was Zelda's diary in Hyrule Castle in her bedchamber, where she talks about Link, and she talks about how it, you know, tries to explain his, his silence as a PTSD thing, and how he's so, he's so, he struggles so hard with just being handed this massive duty, you know, and that was great! That was fantastic. I Dude. yes, thank you. Please drink. Uh, I will. I will keep saying it just to get you to drink. 
you know, it, he, he's shouldered with this, and it's fantastic. It is, it is probably my favorite thing about Breath of the Wild is, you know, those little, those little diary entries, as well as some, some books you can find around Terry, uh, not, sorry, not Terrytown, um, uh, Kakariko. And, mm. you know, the, just the, the little pieces, I, di I, I do enjoy that. Was it, again, you know, if I do that same exact thing where I try and find out everything in Bloodborne, I, I will know so much more about everything will become much clearer and also much hazier. Like there will be mystery to it and things like that and stuff that you can piece together. You can guess maybe, oh, you know, this is how this happened, but you don't know 100% for sure. And it, it, I don't know, it just leaves a, I, I feel more fulfilled learning all that story and stuff in Bloodborne than I do learning all the story in Breath of the Wild. Mm. You know, it's and it's weird because I, I love I love the lore of, of Zelda. I, yeah. I do play Zelda for both the gameplay and for the lore. I have since, you know, since uh, A Link to the Past and an Ocarina of Time. But in this one, I just felt like it had so much potential and it didn't quite meet my expectation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm the, I'm the same way. Like, I mean, I look at it. So I think I mentioned this in the in the long Twitter discussion. I would love to see. What I think would have worked better is if Breath of the Wild had approached the storytelling perspective of Breath of the Wild more like Resident Evil, which Resident Evil Ooh. is extremely linear. That's a great obviously. example. But what? But it doesn't necessarily always feel that way because you're rewarded for your exploration. You go back to you know some of the you know the original zelda where you were you were rewarded by exploring the more you explored the more the more stuff you could find the more stuff you could be rewarded with and and that that applied to some later zelda games as well they got away with that somewhat when they focused more linearly an example is skyward sword where that is so linear that exploration is almost almost worthless unless you're just trying to upgrade your shield or or slingshot or beetle or whatever but and i think that's where that where that game really suffered was that it focused too much on the story and not enough on the exploration I, I where that problem and, with skyward sword and a, and a few others but we don't need to get sure into this time we can save sure it next, next time I'll, I'll fight you on your hate skyward sword no <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? as i take a drink I, I from my skyward sword beer glass <laughs> i don't hate it but it is my second least favorite zelda game oh okay i i i'm not saying that out of like I've been betrayed because I haven't played. I hate Zelda. Oh no, but you would absolutely and... be betrayed by my least favorite Zelda. The entire uh, Zelda community is. I, I I almost I almost brought that up a few minutes ago. <laughs> is it Majora's Mask? Nope. Uh, nope. Which is it? It's my it's my second favorite, and that would be the Wind Waker. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah, I I totally disagree with that. <laughs> hey, hey, I, I think you're morally wrong for believing for, <laughs> for having that down there. I'll, I'll accept and, that. <laughs> anyways, anyways, what I what I was going going back to what I was saying, I don't think that Zelda necessarily needs to come at uh, you know storytelling necessarily directly as um uh, as Resident Evil, but. The way that Resident Evil tells you the story is, you know, as you're exploring, as, the more you explore, you can, you you progress. The exploration is story driven, and vice versa. Like it's, 
you're you're taking on this linear path sort of and then you're you're but you're looped back around to a main area like uh, like i'm thinking of uh, um resident evil 2 kind of like it with a hub specifically world, like, um, yeah like you, ha- you have or the resident Bible. evil kind 7 of. too does yeah. the same thing yeah. Yeah, you have this this main sort of area that you can, that you keep coming back to as you explore, and but each time you come back to it, it's different. And you know this could be compared. This can draw comparison to, as well. Yeah, or Metroidvanias, where you you know you come mm-hmm. back to areas with new abilities, and therefore everything new is unlocked. But the way that you, when you come back, it's not just that you're coming back to this area. It's you're coming back to this area, and now you have a reason, story-wise, to be here too. Like it's, you know, like okay, um, you're you're back here to now. Not only do you have this key, but you understand like why this is this way. You understand why. Okay, well that's where that's where that dead body came from. I understand now. In you know Breath of the Wild, they could have—I I don't know how they, how they could have necessarily told the same story or a similar story, but like I feel like that is that's the formula, or the, not formula, but that's the that's maybe the way that they could have come at it or c- can come at it in the future with future games. Now this is trying to compare, drawing a connection to Age of Calamity. I feel like. With the context of Age of Calamity, Breath of the Wild is made better in terms of the story, so long as the story is canon or remains canon, all that stuff. If it is a, you know, that, that, the game stands to benefit. Like, like, we don't know. It might, like, totally blow. Yeah, I will be so disappointed if it does. I I, I think it will be okay. But, at the very least, the. My my opinions on Breath of the Wild will change if Age of Calamity is good and canon. That would that okay. could potentially change it because just, it gives you context. Just said something that I gotta I gotta say I really disagree with. I think a game should always stand on its own. And I, I, I agree with that. I totally agree with that. But personally, I'm saying my my feelings on Breath of the Wild will soften with the context of Age of Calamity. My thing is that I believe that Age of Calamity should have been part of more a part of the story, or at least what we expect the story of Age of Calamity to be, should have been more of the emphasis of the story of Breath of the Wild because it gives context to this whole world. That's my biggest issue with Breath of the Wild is all the context that I felt like was missing because it felt like Again, to go back to one of the things I originally said is I wanted to, you know, was I would I be charging into battle with the Rook by my side, or the, you know, or a Goron army or a Zora army? Is what that initial E3 trailer, or not the initial E3 trailer, but the the E3 trailer, big one, made me believe was coming was that this was going to be Hyrule at war, and we would be experiencing that and living through it, and then. You know, and in an open world fashion of some sort, Sorry. however that would work. Sorry, that, you gotta wait. Total War, Hyrule. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, and that yeah. that was that was sort of my expectations, and then when I played it, like I said earlier, it didn't it didn't live up to that, and that could just be bad expectations on my part, or or you know, was that 
just a was that to go back to what the Wii U suffered from bad marketing was that what that trailer really marketed or did I misinterpret that completely and yeah you know, that I don't know I think I'll like Breath of the Wild more when Breath of the Wild comes out <laughs> <laughs> That'll know, give me all the context I, like, I need. I felt like I had this hyped up so much in my mind that I was like, there is no way this is ever going to live up to my hype. And I feel like Breath of the Wild 100% lived up to my hype. Yeah. For me personally. Yeah. You know, and, it, and it's fair, because at the end of the day, like, we're all going to feel a certain way about things, because we're all different people, and it, and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just... Is this the part where we end the discussion on a? This is just a matter of opinion. <laughs> I mean, it happens we, on our can, all the or time. we can continue deep diving into how bad their story is in Breath of the Wild. You mean how amazing it is because it's got all the things that you say that Bloodborne is great for. <laughs> well, I can't wait for you to play Bloodborne and come back to. That is one of the games that has been on my list for a long time, and I, I keep like thinking about it. So I I will. Maybe we'll have to revisit this. I'm going to play Bloodborne and and, and kind of we'll have another we'll get you back on and compare and contrast. I, I don't know that it'll necessarily change your opinion and you feel the same way that I feel, but I think you will definitely have a at the very least I think you will either appreciate Breath of the Wild more or you'll just appreciate the Soulsborne series more for what it started and what Breath of the Wild mm-hmm. uh attempted to include. Right. So shall we get into our other video game topic? Ooh. Ooh. Yes. Why is Wind Waker the one of the best games in the Zelda series, right? No. All right, this is where I leave. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Thank you for joining. If you guys would like to, totally change the video game topic to that. Uh, no. Actually, I just kind of really wanted to uh, talk about some more Breath of the Wild because I've been playing it like, the last several weeks. So, uh, so have we. I think we restarted we... a couple yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, I've been kind of slowly working through another playthrough over the last several months, and I've really been kind of sitting down with it the last couple weeks since they announced Age of Calamity, basically. Because I'm like, I want to beat it again, I want to get all the memories again, I want to do the DLC again and stuff like that. Um, So, I'm gonna... This topic is about a more general thing, and this can be good or bad things. Uh, What should every game learn from breath of the wild because i feel like for in in a lot of good ways it kind of changed the uh perception i have on open world games uh all right i got a big one go ahead if you're gonna make your world super huge fucking fill it with shit go make it empty yeah there's 900 koroks did you find them all I 100 percent of Breath of the Wild, and I will yep. never do that again. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, I'll get so, all the shrines. I, I will uh, clear that. It's not empty, but it's also it's also not worth it. It's not full, and it's not worth it either. Yeah, no, it's definitely not. Like I think that. I think Breath of the Wild had a really amazing world. I think that it's incredibly beautiful and obviously aesthetically pleasing, you know, from the sound effects, the sound design, the music, the uh, uh, the environments. Fantastic. 
the the problem is as though again this is something that dave said is that i just i apart from it being aesthetically pleasing and me being a giant zelda nerd i have zero reason to explore it and i mean i and again so you were talking about how um you're playing uh, another game in preparation for this and for me i was actually revisiting another game that i think breath of the wild borrowed some some concepts from which is witcher 3 and i think that witcher 3 it it doesn't have the best like, it does it, like i am not a hardcore witcher fan like uh, a lot of people are and think that witcher 3 is the god's gift to gamers mm -hmm. i think it's a fantastic game but it also has its flaws um but i think that witcher 3 did a better job of of having a, a big world but with plenty of stuff to do it's not perfect like mm -hmm. some of the stuff that you end up finding you know is it is not worth your time like the poop from spoilers if you get all 900 koroxes <laughs> but uh you know at least at least you know if i go 30 feet or 40 feet or a mile in the distance I am guaranteed to find something or have something to do and have a reason to do it. If I do the same thing in Breath of the Wild, it's only because I decided I'm going to walk 80 feet in that direction and hopefully something happens. First of all, I am the kind of gamer that likes walking 80 feet in random directions and seeing if something happens. I love exploration in games. So this this is not as much an issue to me. And I, I feel like even... Breath of the Wild, I feel like, does this well in the world design that even if it's something stupid and little, there is something. Whether it's just like, oh, hey, there's a, you know, a, a mushroom over here. Some dumb shit like that. There's a kobold can't, or a, not kobold, I mean, bokoblin. Uh, I'm getting my, getting my mythologies mixed up. Uh, you know, there's, there's treasure chest buried in the dirt over here. There's, there's, there's always something. And a lot of the times it's little and stupid, but I love the little and stupid shit that I find everywhere in that world. You, you know what I, I will say though, I, I will totally concede for the big things in the world, Breath of the Wild does it amazingly. Like the, te the ruins of the Temple of Time. It's one of the greatest things that, yes, you in, in a given playthrough, unless you're speed running, you will go through that temple. You know, you will always, you know, encounter it. But, like, there are other things like Temple of Time that you find in the world of Zelda. And when it's big and when it's something that, you know, you've played 30 years of Zelda and you know exactly what they're referencing, you know exactly what you're looking at. It does those things incredibly well. But the fact that 85% of Breath of the Wild's world is not those things is just you walking through a field and you encounter a bush and instead of getting rupees out of the bush, you find nothing what or you find a Korok. Right. Well, okay, or an Octorok. See, there's so um, many things or... that this bush could be. The potential okay. is infinite. <laughs> okay, but okay, but so if if I go through The Witcher 3 and I go through that same bush area because I wanted to just walk through it, instead of finding an Octorok that I find all the time, there's a there's potential that I will find a a water hag that is actually more akin to a boss enemy than it is just a regular enemy that you encounter. Or I encounter a person who wants to hire me as a witcher to go find a monster and hunt it. Or to locate his dead grandpa because he's an asshole. 
you know there's there's a lot of things that you that you just find that are more to it than i walked into a bush and found an octorok and that was the adventure you know is it like there's just more to it and i another game that i need to get around to. i do own that one and i have it downloaded on my ps4 and it's just sitting there not being played i i think the story aspects of which where it really shines like if you're familiar with the witcher books or if you're familiar with the previous two games witcher is an incredible experience if you're just if you're just playing witcher 3 because you heard it was a great game you will probably end up liking it because it's a good rpg game Mm -hmm. but a lot of things that you encounter in the game you'll kind of be a little lost on you'll have to spend a lot of time in the bestiary kind of just reading through all the pages and pages of information they have for you because they knew that was going to happen yeah. i also tried uh, I to read the like... book but i i didn't get very far because it was like the the intro of the book is like exactly the same as the intro well, there's like 12 of the, of the books right yeah the first <laughs> I, I tried to start at the first one and it's literally identical for the first like at least the first chapter uh, to the if, Netflix series, so I was just yeah, like, if you, I know what's well, happening. How how long is this going to go Netflix, on? So the Netflix series is based off of the first two short stories of Witcher, which is The Last mm-hmm. Wish and um, uh, something of the sword. I, I forget the title off the mm-hmm. top of my head. It's based off of the first two short stories, which kind of like introduce the world of the Witcher. And, you know, it, it establishes Geralt as a character who his what his general personality is and what he does. And it establishes who Yennefer is and very briefly who Ciri is and what their connections are to each other as characters. Mm-hmm. So the and I will say the Netflix series, I am actually incredibly impressed with how well they adapted those two books into that into mm-hmm. that series. I worry that it's going to be like Game of Thrones, where the first four or five seasons are perfect, exact to the books, and then the rest of them are ass. Hmm. But, uh, you know, so far I'm very impressed with it. And if you've watched the Netflix series, you will have a, you will at least have a general understanding of some things right. in, the, in the game. It'll like, you, you'll, you'll know who Geralt is. Yeah. You'll you'll know who Geralt is. You'll know who Ciri is, and you'll know well. You'll know how who young Ciri is. Right. You'll know who uh, you'll know who Yennefer is, and you'll be able to understand their character dynamics and why they're in various situations that you're that they're in. As for like all the details and stuff, like who other characters are, or why they those characters act differently than they do in the show, you might be a little less uh, informed on. Mm-hmm. But you know you'll you'll enjoy it. I think. I. Do I'm starting to have a sneaking suspicion that I the things I appreciate about narratives and games are different than what uh, Dave and Taylor appreciate about narrative and games. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you appreciate about narratives and? Games? Uh, I generally appreciate the piecemeal the piecemeal aspects of them a lot more. So, so, like, getting little bits of information here and there as opposed to being spoon-fed it? Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. I, I, I like I like all aspects of it. Like, as long as it has a good narrative, usually I will enjoy, yeah. enjoy it. And, and that's not to say I don't like games like, say, a lot of the Final Fantasies or uh, m- more, like, ga- more games with that more traditional, like, plot. But 
I very much love the games where uh, everything is more haphazard. Have you played Blasphemous yet, Chris? Uh, I have not played Blasphemous yet. I did actually start playing... ...direction for the story, and it, it, I, I think, based on what you just said, I think you'd like... Yeah, kind of exploring and because a lot of the story isn't necessarily told. It's 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 also kind of like the Dark Souls where you get like little descriptions in all of your items and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, I, I would love a week from me is the Dayboard line from Dry Dock Brewing Company, uh, which mm. came as a pirate's pick they always do that in their mix packs they'll do like their three kind of go-to beers and then just uh some weird thing that they happened to make recently so uh this is actually pretty good it's like uh, a little salty which is interesting in a beer uh and and just limey enough to be actually pretty good so uh, i did yeah. and uh, it's speaking Dave, of uh, beer of the week as well, I believe. So uh, I'm gonna yes. make you rate that second Oktoberfest. Are you drinking? I'll it give it one. I'll give it one point less than the first one. So I think I give the first one a 13. I'll give this one a 12. It's a mm. little. It's a little not as good, or it was a little not as good. It's it's empty now. I, I done drunk it all. <laughs> I'll drink to that. <laughs> what were you saying but, before, Dave? I I was gonna say. The um, the uh, that my my dream Zelda game would be a Final Fantasy esque Zelda, where I have this massive story, and I'm I'm not gonna lie, I would love to see a party party style Zelda game. I think that would just be tremendous. But that's a whole that's a whole other thing that that ties into you know potentially even uh, even like tabletop stuff. Like what Shit, I would I'll drink to that. Oh God! That, a, a Final Fantasy esque Zelda would just oh, would bring me so much joy, but it's uh, but that's that's that's, that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did write a tabletop based around the Arrow Without a Hero. I did make my own system and everything. I just never did anything with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so to bring that back, kind of to uh, our point of. Uh, that we were talking about what should every game learn from breath of the wild i think one of the things that games could stand to learn is breath of the wild's take on story presentation even if you don't like the way that the story maybe necessarily is uh i feel like the presentation is still unique within games insofar it is as it is 100 percent non-linear and the Uh, example and the thing i was going to say is that Breath of the Wild has the show not uh, tell thing going on, at least for sure. 90% of it, I'd say. I'll definitely agree with that, with the caveat of make sure you pick your moment. Because obviously some games that works really well with, and then other games it doesn't work as well with. You know uh, I, mean? I, I wanted to contrast that with a game I was tried to bring up about three times, was uh, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, which... Hmm. I'm enjoying the game a lot, but the story is very much in the other direction, where it says it tells you a bunch of stuff happened, and then just kind of dumps you. That was a little you. bit of what kind of turned me off about it, because I tried it a little bit in Game Pass, uh, and oddly enough, I felt like Curse of the Moon was like better gameplay wise, because it it didn't 
I feel like it's just kind of trying too many things or something. I'm not sure exactly what turns me off about it. It's like you're equipping all these weapons and, and people are talking at you all the time. There's lore dumps everywhere. And it's it's like, it's fine. Uh, but uh, Curse of the Moon I really, really liked uh, as a blood it is the other Bloodstained game. There's a, Actually, Curse of the Moon 2 is out now as well. I haven't tried Curse of the Moon 2 yet, though. But... Um, and- I, and it was I feel original. like the, the kind of focus on each individual character in little kind of segments and then the fact that you could, you know, you weren't switching between 8,000 different kinds of styles of weapon. You're switching between your four characters. I, I think that worked better in gameplay, personally. <clears throat> but go ahead. Yeah, it was, uh, well, it was it was very explicit about telling you the whole backstory of the game before you even started with it. Yeah. Uh, and then saying, oh, and these characters know each other in this way, and that this is this person's personality. So it's very ham-fisted. Very much... Kind of v- threw, me, threw me off pretty badly. Mm-hmm. Definitely something I think uh, other games can take note of from Breath of the Wild, and this is a positive one. You'll guys like this. Yeah. Uh, a- attention to detail and environment, like paying attention to oh yeah your scenery, paying attention to how that scenery should sound, paying attention to how it should look. Like the art, the art style of Breath of the Wild and the way they do their environments is nothing short of incredible, mm-hmm. and I think. They they do a fantastic job of that, and there are some games that are good games out there that I think don't pay as much attention to that that aspect of things and uh, suffer a little bit for it. So I think if uh, if games in the future paid as much attention as Breath of the Wild does to environments and stuff like that and aesthetics, we're in for some great games. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean as aesthetically, I think. Aesthetically and gameplay-wise, I, I think Breath of the Wild is arguably the best when it comes to Zelda. I, I, I will never... I can't deny that. I mean, sure, climbing in the rain sucks, but it should suck. You're climbing in the rain. And weapons breaking, okay, I can deal with that. That's 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 fine. I, I just wish they would last a little bit longer, or maybe I could reforge them. But that's that's a live and learn kind of thing. But you know, just again, my biggest gripe with it has always been the way that the story was presented and it, it, the story itself. It just it felt so meh. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like the presentation uh, was honestly one of the best story presentations I've ever had. Again, because it's it's nonlinear. It gives a. I feel like the amount of nonlinearity that the story has gives a purpose to it being open world because you give a game like Skyrim and it's open world, but the story is point A to point B to point C. So it might as well be linear. There's not, there's stuff in between to see and it's neat. Uh, And in other games like, like Morrowind was also technically like that, but I, I feel like Morrowind did a better job putting more interesting things in between than Skyrim did, especially just because the scale of Morrowind was was on another level entirely uh, compared to Skyrim or, or even Breath of the Wild for that matter. Morrowind was huge compar- in comparison. I mean, 
Oblivion was also slightly bigger than Skyrim, if memory I recalls. Felt like Oblivion was smaller than Skyrim, but I Oblivion it was easy. I it was like, like you were it, you traveled was, faster. That might be it. I'm not sure because Oblivion I felt like was one of the smallest open world games that I've ever played. And I felt like that because I would just be wandering because that is what I do in open world games. I wander. I look for just something interesting to find. I'm not necessarily looking for, you know, a specific thing. I'm just like, yeah, which is another thing that I love about exploring in Breath of the Wild is finding all this little dumb shit, you know, like I was talking about earlier. But in... in uh, oblivion I found myself trying to just wander and have a good time in the world and I found myself accidentally finding the story like every 10 or 20 minutes and I'm like how is this possible that I just keep accidentally running into the story because uh, especially coming from Morrowind because I came directly from Morrowind to oblivion in order there um, Morrowind is a game where you have to go out of your way to get to the story. And you can have story... That's that's something I think Morrowind does better than Breath of the Wild, is it presents uh, a lot of more direct purpose. It's it's maybe not better than Breath of the Wild, but it's, it's certainly a different take, because it, it gives you a more direct purpose on why stuff is here and, and what you're doing here. The side quests are more meaningful, because they're kind of, you know, giving you like you're you're on this side quest so that you can go to these dungeon ruins to find this item and and there's a lot of lore there and so it's i feel like in that way it's better than breath of the wild uh, yeah i feel like it's I mean, world is better than breath of the wild's world but i feel like breath of the wild is in the end a better game because if, i like the gameplay better if we're comparing elder scrolls and breath of the wild like the simplest fact is is in, in elder scrolls doesn't matter which one you you play morrowind oblivion skyrim whatever you so go I... to a village you have a side quest the guy's like the dragon just attacked the village he's in that corner and it's also might have some dragon priests in it and there's a whole bunch of things in there maybe a rare artifact breath of the wild is go get my brick and bring it back i did look this up <laughs> uh Apparently, Oblivion and Skyrim are pretty close to the same size. Skyrim's actually slightly smaller, but Skyrim also has a lot more uh, content in it. Yeah, it's a little more condensed in terms of, uh, like, kind of like Japan and Tokyo, where high-density population. Oh. Yeah, that's Small, something that smaller. I really noticed after coming or New back, York. after playing Breath of the Wild. I, I went back, because after I played Breath of the Wild all the way through and played, you know... 100 hours of that or something i went back to skyrim because i got the switch version and uh it felt so small because every five seconds you're finding a town or something mm -hmm. because everything yeah. is so condensed and and that kind of turned me off a little bit of it from a second playthrough and i still played for a while i still had fun it's still you, you can't game. But, you can't move in Skyrim without experiencing some type of content. Whether it's good content or bad, you just you can't move in Skyrim without encountering something. Mm -hmm. Which, as you said, can be to its benefit, but can also be to its detriment. Yeah. If that were applied to Breath of the Wild, this is a question to kind of myself and to you, Taylor. Would that benefit it? Do you think? If it, if it was if it was Skyrim, 
Yeah, it, well, if there was to where you couldn't move without encountering content, where it was, there was no. stuff everywhere. Okay. No. That, I, I, I agree. I don't think that, I think that would be too much. There's a balance. Be, yeah. Yes. Yeah, because my problem coming back to Skyrim was, uh, especially coming from Breath of the Wild. In Breath of the Wild, everything is very far apart, but that means no matter what two points you're going in between, you'll have an adventure on the way, right? And in Skyrim, I found myself being like, okay, I need to go northwest to this town. There it is. I'm already there. I didn't have an adventure on the way. That was a shitty trip. <laughs> That's kind of how I look at it. It wasn't just, really like, a journey. It was just yeah. kind of... I mean... I'm like, I want to take the scenic route, damn it. I, I kind of had the opposite effect where... And I mean, I, I dropped over 2,000 hours in the Skyrim and Oblivion and Morrowind before that. So, like, I I have definitely had my share of Elder Scrolls. <laughs> uh, for, like, Skyrim... Skyrim for me, and this is... I'm talking about a base playthrough, like, no mods, nothing like that that adds content to it. Because I've definitely done a lot of that, too. But base content in Skyrim, I think that my biggest issue with it was... Kind of like a, you know how the we have the had the memes about like Ocarina of Time and stuff like that where Ganon pulls the coup, Link sleeping for seven years, and then he just goes off and does random shit before helping out, uh, you know, stuff or, or, or even with Breath of the Wild too. Breath of the Wild, I like that. You know, that's Zelda's the biggest like, one. Link, wake up and help me. And Link is like fucking throwing bombs at fish naked. Right. So I feel like. Breath of the, yeah, there's absolutely that in Breath of the Wild, but I think Skyrim ratchets it up to a million. Like you walk two feet, like you know, it's like, oh, the dragon's attacking. You need to learn the word to bring the dragon down, Fusro da this bitch. And then you're like, all right, I'm gonna go do that. Two steps later, help, help! My village is burning down. Come rescue me. There's a dragon temple over there, by the way. You can learn another word. And you're like, oh, I'm going to go do that instead. Yeah, sometimes like I you... felt like that worked. And other times I felt like, I, especially with the dragon attacks, that it, it just got tedious after a certain point where it's just like, there's another fucking dragon. I don't want to deal with it. I have too many dragon bones in my inventory already. I am yeah, meaning always, nothing it's by always a dragon. it. It's, it's always a dragon and it's always Bernanetti. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, look, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but like, you cannot play Skyrim without feeling like you have ADD. Like you're just your attention is mean, always I divided. ADD, so, so imagine, imagine how I feel playing Skyrim. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> blessed be you. I have ADD, but I think you, I like you still drink, enjoy it. Drink. Oh, I, I enjoy Skyrim. Yeah. I had a lot of fun with Skyrim. It's just one of those things where, like, you, you, you launch up the game, and no matter what your actual goal is, you're going to end up doing a thousand other things before you ever do your goal. I feel like that's true in Breath of the Wild, like, to to an a, even a much larger degree, because there's cause you get distracted on the way by all the stupid little shit. But the stupid little shit doesn't hold your attention for very long. So, like, so let, let's say There's I wanted, so I wanted to start shits in between that collectively well, yeah, but, they hold your attention for much longer. Right, but the I think the biggest like, the, and this is my problem with Skyrim or not Skyrim, sorry, with uh, Breath of the Wild is that like, if the world was a little bit more like Skyrim, not all the way, don't become Skyrim, but like fill up. The activities a little bit more or at least with more meaningful activities and things like that 
it would have been better. Whereas, like, you know, Skyrim, you're just, you're overloaded with, with stuff. Breath of the Wild, I felt like, okay, if I wanted to go from the ruins of the Temple of Time to go grab a sword in Hyrule Castle, yeah, I might be distracted by a Korok here or there, or a Moblin fight, or a Moblin camp, you know, but in 20-30 minutes, I'm going to be where I want to be and doing what I want to do. In Skyrim, if I say I'm just going to do the main quest, I can never do it. I every single time I just I go through and I'm just like I get distracted by every single little thing that comes my way because there's so much condensed into it. Like you walk two feet, there's a dragon wall. You walk another two feet, there's six side quests to do. You walk another four feet, there's a town. You know, it's like it's crazy. I actually feel the opposite. I feel like Breath of the Wild had a good amount of content paced and that side quests weren't so dense in Skyrim it's just that it filled your screen with map markers anytime you got close to something that was kind of I'm not saying that Breath of the Wild didn't because like when I got side quests I was like I very seldom thought I had a reason to care in Skyrim Uh, and I feel the same thing about Breath Breath of the Wild Wild too but yeah. in Breath of the Wild, I figured most of the time, at least there will be some interesting treasure at the end. And in Skyrim, sometimes I did, but there was so many side quests that I was like, which ones of them have worthwhile treasure? Which ones of them are, you know, actually going to be worth my time to do? And that was my problem I would with Breath. the ones that would, like, yeah. take me to a ruin or something. Because then at least I'd get something interesting to explore, a cool dungeon out of the deal, something like that. But if it was just like, uh, you know, some random well, other thing, I mean, how I'm just like, why do I even care? So aside th- from sh- aside from shrine quests, though, how many side quests ended in? Thank you so much. Here's a here's a meal. Here's a here's a fried chicken. In Breath of the Wild, at least. That's fair, but you also didn't need the side quests as much because of all the little random stupid shit. Yeah, but you don't need them in Skyrim either, but you you still got stuff from it. So, like, in Breath of the Wild, I go around, and I, like, in Skyrim, I can come up with reasons why I would care about a side quest and, and doing something... You know, whether it's because, oh, I'm gonna RP roleplay as a, as a Dragonborn who, you know, is a traveler at heart. So he wants to go chronicle all the, the Dragon Caves or the, the Dragon Priest Caves. Cool, I can come up with a reason for that. Breath of the Wild, I know who I'm playing. I'm playing Link, and my job is to defeat Ganon and save the princess. And yes, technically speaking, I would be obligated to help everybody along the way that I encounter... But for one thing, I barely encounter anybody, and the quests that I that I encounter aren't aren't something that are of a serious nature. Like the biggest thing you do in Breath of the Wild through a side quest is rebuild a town. Yep. And is that not? And that was great. That was, yeah, that, that was great. Skyrim. Yeah. Did? What? I, did I actually have any quests that came close to that scale. Of importance, yes. Because uh, I mean, of, do, of doing the exact same thing, it depends. Out. It depends I remember like a quest in the, in the uh, DLC or the, the expansion pack for Morrowind where you built a town up in Solstheim. But 
in Skyrim. You... I'm struggling to think of anything that came to anywhere near that interesting. But uh, I, I also in... haven't spent as much time with it at you, so I, I, I might not know. In Skyrim, there's a bunch of different things you can do. You don't exactly build a town. You can, obviously, with mods. Like, there are some mods that add in story stuff where you build up a town. But, like, in base game Skyrim, you don't quite build a town, per se. But there are definitely quite a few side quests in Skyrim that are on the scope of helping a shattered uh, world rebuild a town to be hopefully safe in and 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 you know, recover from the calamity that is Ganon, mm -hmm. you know, so the Skyrim definitely uh, Oblivion had a ton of that kind of stuff because you were dealing with the after effects of the day of the danger invading and stuff like that. And then Morrowind, you had the entire freaking <laughs> Elvish council fighting between everybody and, and you had to play peacemaker and f figure out where you fell on, on what side, you know, <laughs> But like Breath of the Wild, again, like I said, you know, the biggest thing you do in a side quest is rebuild a town, and that's it. Uh, so with Skyrim, I actually kind of had the experience of there were enough side quests, and enough of them had rewards at the end that it almost kind of killed my desire to explore, like, intrinsically. Because mm -hmm. it, it was, oh, everything has a reward attached to it. That... And... And when everything has kind of like an explicit reward attached to it, it's like you're going to the end of the dungeon to get the treasure, and it's just a linear thorough put. Um, it we're not, kind of we're, becomes, not yeah. we're not saying that everything has to have a reward or everything has to have meaning to it. We're I, I, at least I'm specifically just saying like I wish it had been a little closer to Skyrim. I don't want it to be Skyrim, but. Same you know, to have a little bit more meaning to a lot of the stuff that I'm doing, to have a little more worthwhile rewards would have been nice. I don't need it to be filled with it, but more than what it had would be great. Yep. I'm I'm there with you. Alright. Um, and okay. I'm, I'm saying I disagree. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Well, we've been going for quite a while, so does anybody have any last-minute things to say on this topic, or shall we close out this podcast? Breath of the Wild is a fantastic game. You should all play it. However, comma, the story sucks. Love you. It is, yep, same. It's a fantastic <laughs> game. Go play it. Uh, you they, already. These guys are wrong. Uh, <laughs> don't listen to them. Breath of the Wild is so a fantastic game. It. It's just not the best Zelda game. A fantastic, great open world game. Zelda fantastic game. game. Either, but, uh, I think the best Zelda game is Zelda 2. Agreed. Well, now that's... <laughs> yeah, for my podcast. No words. How could you no say words. something so brave yet so controversial? <laughs> <laughs> I've uh, played Zelda 2 Is it actually lot, your favorite, Chris? I don't know. I, I can I, do that. I, I no, like no, it, but... I am absolutely kidding. Right. He's meme wording. <laughs> Uh, Breath of the Wild is much further up there. Regardless, we all agree, despite our different opinions, that Breath of the Wild is absolutely a must-play, especially yeah. if you're a Zelda yep. fan. Yep. Yeah. And even if you're not, like, I feel like there's plenty to love anyways, even if... You... Yeah. And it, this is a kind of a funny thing for me to actually be arguing anyway, because I do know that I am in the minority that really, really loves the story in this game. Most people, I feel like, are are on your guys' side, where they're just like, 
yeah, it was bare bones, you know, this and that. It, you know, I didn't get the presentation or, or whatever. Uh, so I know I'm in the minority saying this, but I'll stand by it. I'll die on this hill as long as I get have a beer in my hand while I'm doing it. Speaking of which, I think I, think I forgot to rate this beer, so I'm going to give this a uh, 14 as well. So that's three 14 score drinks. That's actually not a bad average. Nice. Absolutely. I think, I think even if you agree with Dave and I, like, there's without question some hidden gems in Breath of the Wild. So even if there's you... plenty to love, and yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, again, I my wife and I have just literally just been replaying this. Like the only thing we haven't done right now is gone to fight Ganon. That's just because we're trying to round out some shrines to get our health up, and mm-hmm. you know, it's it, it's a fantastic game. It really is. It's it, in it's deserving of almost all the accolades that it gets, if not all of them. Mm-hmm. It's just, to me, it's not the, the... It has some major flaws, and that's why it just it, it can't be everything I'm that it tried to be. I'm 100% glad that Nintendo took this experiment to heart, created a fantastic experience all around, and I look forward to the future of Zelda. Oh God, yes. That mm-hmm. With despite all of its flaws, Breath of the Wild is a monumental progression in the Zelda franchise, and I cannot wait to see what Nintendo does with it. At least it pushed the series further than Skyward Sword. Ooh, shots fired! <laughs> I don't know. Skyward Sword still has one of the better stories of all the Zelda games. That's something I'd argue also, because I feel like it was too much just like high school musical, the Zelda version. It's like, look at us. We have a love triangle and stuff. Like, what do you, you think? What do you expect, back, though? I, I, progressive every single Zelda game, Bruce. Link is a teenager. What do you expect? And a child in most of them. So, what did you expect? I'll take Zach Efron playing Link over Tom Holland. Uh, 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 you know, I say you Chandler know, that one. Chandler Rice is my vote for who to play Link in a in a. I am a little sad. Game. I've never played uh, Skyward Sword, so I can't dunk on it properly because I lack <laughs> the experience. Right. I'll, I'll let you borrow it sometime. You, you still have your Wii, right? I yeah, still somewhere. have your. Uh, I'll have to give you back your Wii Remote Plus that you left at my house like ten oh, years whoops. ago. <laughs> Wow. That was a long that ass was, time ago that you left that black Wii remote. That was quite a while ago, yeah. I mean, I still have that black Wii. Nice. Yeah, alright. Well, anyways, uh, yeah, thank you for joining us on Drink of the Past. My name is Sean Michael Patrick Thompson. As always, your host, and I am joined today, as usual, by my co-host, Chris. Hi, I'm Chris. Go please, uh, please go vote. Audette, go please vote. <laughs> Vote, vote for the please candidate. Vote please. Yeah. Yes. Vote for no fires in Colorado. That was that was and, our big thing and, last year. And here Chris yeah. is setting fires in uh, whatever this game was called. That's okay. They uh, they deserved it. Those babies <laughs> deserved it. Uh, <laughs> babies on fire. It's, it's you can like worse than lighting a forest on fire during a gender reveal, isn't it? That sounds like an impressive gender reveal, I gotta say. The jackasses in my state. It's the fires are pink. I don't know how they did that, but uh, we all all thought Tide Pods were bad. Yeah. 
you can find my writings on Drive Through RPG and Itch.io under Five Cataclysms. I wrote House of Flowers uh, and co-wrote Five Cataclysms Core Rules Beta Edition, which is a very nice kind of house system of like an old school that's very similar to old school D&D. Uh, my co-authors also wrote quite a few uh, good adventures that are broadly compatible with D&D. I highly recommend all of them, particularly Mad Mask Spire. That's my favorite of the lot. Yeah, uh, so check them out. on the podcast a few times, so check both of them out. And of yeah. course, we got our two guestesses. Uh, so Dave, plug your book again. Yeah, my uh, my story is called The Arrow Without a Hero. Um, you can find all, so far, all almost all well, all the chapters over on zeldadungeon.net. Um, just go to the Fan Fiction Friday section or search um, The Arrow Without a Hero in there, and I'll bring it all up. Um, or you can go to my website, um, arrowwithoutahero.wordpress.com, and I post the chapters there as well. I'm a little behind, but I'll get to it eventually when I'm not super stupid busy um you can follow me on twitter at dave wayne 09 or if you just care about my zelda story and whatnot you can follow that at zelda tewa which is zelda and then t-e-w-a-h all right check him out and of course our good buddy taylor returning once again uh plug all your whatever you do you still do stuff Yes, sir. Hi, my name is Taylor Wells. You can follow me, find, uh, follow me on twitter.com slash gif underscore bluehawk. Same thing for Twitch. Uh, same link, gif underscore bluehawk. Uh, I am a freelance writer and voice actor in the video game industry, so you can also find my work in the video games you enjoy playing so much. All right, and that brings us to the final segment of the podcast where we just talk about inane bullshit until somebody says something really hilarious and awkward and I cut off the podcast. So, uh, what you guys been playing this week? Let's start there. We didn't do what you play in the last couple of weeks because we've had big lots of guests and we, we we actually ran over time a lot this week too. So, it's probably Korok okay. Punting Adventure. If that was a spin-off, would you would you buy it? Hell yes. Yeah, Korok's tree be or Korok's tree like rosy rupee land. Korok's tree land. Yes. Korok's Korok's and Breath of the Wild only reinforced my hatred for Win Win. <laughs> <laughs> is, is, is that your sole reason for hating such a great, fantastic game? I mean, at this point, since I still haven't played Win Waker HD, maybe, but. <laughs> I mean, oh man, you've never really like justified your hatred here, which obviously is like a rational thing that you have to do to everybody, or else you you can't hate something anymore. So I mean, I can I can hate it based off of the fact that uh, it does it did literally nothing original. I mean, in Zelda, same thing Pirate. with Breath of the Wild. I think it added a combat Ooh. system a little bit. Uh, from coming from Ocarina of Time, uh, giving you the the parries and things like that, which eventually sp I feel like sprang into and grew naturally into the various different weapons and different techniques that you can use in Breath of the Wild, like the flurry rush and all that. So, I mean, I, I, I could also say that you know, Link to the Past and Minish Cap kind of did the same thing. Before I also, 
I also just, am... just to a not as advanced degree, yeah. obviously. Minish Cap, I would definitely agree with. Uh, was Minish Cap? Although Minish Cap, Minish Cap came after. Yeah, Minish Cap yep. was after. Yeah, so because Minish Cap was the game released after. Like when we... How it kind of progressed was like you got your base 3D combat in Ocarina of Time. Majora's Mask pretty much just did the same thing because they didn't have enough time to do shit different, and. Uh, Wind Waker sort of started to build off it a little bit, and then it went kind of to the 2D side with all the weapon scrolls where you could get different sword techniques, and that was pretty cool. And then they really started going at it in Twilight Princess. So if you look at them, you know, game by game, I feel like there's a natural progression for the combat that eventually led to how really awesome it is in Breath of the Wild with your different techniques that you can use, your throwing weapons, your, uh, you know, using different styles of weapons and stuff like Getting that. Getting bullet and I, time. And I feel like Wind Waker was a very important step in there because it's the first time that sword play was more than just tapping B. Well, I mean, if you, if you want an even more empty game than Breath of the Wild, play Wind Waker. That's, that's another gripe I have. It's so fair that it makes me angry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I, I will not deny I this. I all the look, islands, though. You know, look, all, all, I, all I'm going to say... Actually, like, had something interesting. Uh, the sea, I'll give you, was kind of empty and boring. <laughs> but, I mean, once you got to an island, that was where the real content was. It's like... All, you just had all a slightly say, long loading on. screen while you're driving there, right? All, all I'm going to say is that Wind Waker... To its detriment, absolutely nailed sea travel. <laughs> like, <laughs> they they did it so well, it was bad. <laughs> minus minus getting like sea uh, travel is like. I'm also I'm I'm getting you know seasickness and diseases from sea travel. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. also of the opinion that uh, I drank my that originality is overrated. I agree. I th I think as long as you you know like and this is something that Breath of the Wild does well, and I think most Zelda games do well. And again, I will caveat this by saying that while Wind Waker is my least favorite Zelda game, it is by far still a fantastic game to play. Of all the Zelda uh, games that are out there, it's certainly one of them. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> That's kind but, of how uh, I feel about Skyward yeah. Sword. Is it's my least favorite non-Zelda two Zelda. Uh, and it's still a good game. It's fun. I I definitely am one of those people who thinks that there isn't a bad Zelda game. Like there, all the Zelda game games are Zelda good. Game. I no, I I genuinely think that all Zelda games, in their own way, are good games. Hmm. You know, are 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 they are they games that you know would make your top five of all time? Maybe not, but hmm. they're all solid games. Even Zelda two. Zelda what about Triforce Heroes? I love Triforce Heroes. It's one of my favorite. Okay. It's an amazing. <laughs> I never played Triforce Heroes. Yeah, I'm in that I'm, camp. It just didn't. It didn't click with me. It didn't appeal to me. Only the only deep 3DS Zelda game that I played is The Link Between Worlds. So far, I have not played Spirit Tracks or Phantom Hourglass either. But that's it for the Zelda series of ones I that I've missed. Both of those, even though they're kind of on the more kind of flip floppy side, uh, you know, a lot of people really don't like them because of the touchscreen controls and stuff like that. But I thought it was a different thing to do, and I don't think it was bad because it was a different thing to do. But I kind of get why people wouldn't like it. Because it's it's not really a traditional Zelda game, but I, I think that's I've, okay. For what it was, I think it did everything it did really well. 
I'm I think Fathom sure. Hourglass had some of the most original and best uses of items yeah. in the Zelda series. And Spirit Tracks, I would give a shout-out as in probably my top three favorite Zelda soundtracks. Spirit Tracks? Yeah. I can see that. Spirit Tracks' music is fucking great. They they did have some, some pretty clapping tunes. <clears throat> mm-hmm. As much as I hated traveling the overworld in the train, I really didn't mind as much because the overworld theme was just so badass. <laughs> Did you have you ever heard the uh, this? Oh crap! I I used to have it on my computer, but there's there was a remix that somebody did where they combined, I think it was the Song of Storms and the Spirit uh, Spirit Tracks theme, and it was phenomenal. I was like, man, this is the mashup that I don't deserve, but I definitely needed. Nice. I need to hear that. Song Spirit of Tracks is my favorite. If you find that, Spirit, then, yeah. Spirit Tracks is definitely one of those games where I stopped playing after I had to blow into a flute. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was so frustrated by that mechanic that uh, I thought some of those gimmicks were stopped. hilarious. Um, I I really like the puzzle. A lot of people criticize the puzzle where it's like it gives you a backwards map on the top screen and you have your like regular map on the bottom screen and you have to like stamp them together. So you literally have to close the system to to stamp them and, and solve the puzzle. I thought that was hilarious and amazing and most people fucking hate that puzzle. Can we talk about how Majora's Mask 3D is the greatest remake in video game history? I would be curious to see why you liked that one uh, better as the... Did you like that one better as the remake, or, or are you just saying that it's the best remake? Uh, well, okay, so for one thing, I'm not 100% serious on that. I think it is the best <laughs> remake done in Zelda so far, and I think it is a great remake overall. Like, I think Final Fantasy VII Remake is the best remake of all time so far, but... Uh, Majora's Mask, like, I don't understand the hatred that so many people have for it because it literally did the same thing that Ocarina of Time 3D did, except it simplified a lot of the issues that people had with the OG Majora's Mask. I think that people who struggled playing Majora, the original uh, Majora's Mask actually would find Majora's Mask 3D more enjoyable and easier to, to handle. I do agree uh, to an extent because I played the original Majora. Well, I played the GameCube Majora's Mask, so it's it's the original, but it's not the original. Anyways, I played it. On it also GameCube. looks fantastic. Yeah, uh, I I really did like most of the changes that they did, but I felt like some of the changes that they did were random and superfluous, uh, especially to the bosses. Just adding the giant eyeballs, I felt like was a very big turnoff. It seemed to have no purpose and it made all of the boss fights feel less interesting i really liked the adalwa fight in the original uh for yeah. example and uh when it's just turned into a weird eyeball and and, and it totally changed the mechanics of the fight and i thought it was just kind of pointless so i i wouldn't say it's pointless like the changes like especially with the boss mechanics so one there's a there's story reason for it it's to make it more obvious that they're under majora's control the second, the second reason it's not pointless is because the reason they change the boss mechanics for all the fights, like the the only fight that plays the exact same way is uh, the goat fight, because mm. they didn't have to change very much. Right. Um, and the reason that they did that is to actually make it so it is necessary to use the masks. 
for those fights. Uh, because in the in the OG Majora's Mask, in a lot of those fights, you didn't have to use the transformation mask at all to win the fight. I kind of get that, um, but I also really it's like just unnecessary it. revisionism. Yeah, that's kind of how I. That's am. fair. Yeah, because yeah. like in the Adalwa fight, what I liked about that was fighting this giant warrior with my bow and arrow. I thought that was mm. really awesome, and, and I was so confused when I was playing Majora's Mask 3D. I'm all shooting him with the bow and arrow over. It's not doing anything. It's not working because yeah. it literally just doesn't damage him, and I thought. What am I doing wrong? I'm doing exactly the same thing I used to do when I was playing this game. Why can't I beat him? And then I, f I figured out, oh, wait, hold on. Uh, there's these flowers around. And I, I didn't even realize the flowers were there in the original. And you can, you know, shoot up and, and drop the Deku mm -hmm. Nut on him and stun him in that. And I was like, why is this eyeball here? It's so it's... I. I kind of get what you're like saying, be... and I kind of respect it a little more because you've said what you've said. But at the same time, I feel like it's a change that didn't need to happen. I have yeah, zero no, it wasn't this change. It wasn't necessary. It's one I understand from working in video games and understanding, like you know, the the concepts behind things. And Majora's Mask in the original, like the the one of the biggest features of it was the transformation masks and all the rest of the masks that you literally used to do everything in the game you know in, in addition to the dungeon item that you find in in those dungeons so i understand why they're like well we want to kind of highlight that and we want to make it more obvious that you know this is what you were supposed to do in those fights because literally everything you do in the remake to beat those boss bosses the exception of the um the last two with uh george and uh twin mold uh, twin mold you can beat those bosses in the original Majora's Mask the exact same way that you beat them in the remake. In the remake, though, you cannot always beat them the same way that you did in the OG. Right, but you're... Is it better that it's, way to take no. away options from a player? In no, I'm not, I'm, I'm, not I'm, I'm not saying that it was better. Like I said, I understand the reason why they did it. Do I think that it was a necessary change? Absolutely not. Do I mind the change? No, because I still really love the game, and I, and I actually do enjoy the transformation masks and things like that. And it was nope. a different way to play it, so it was a new experience for me to handle those fights differently than I originally did. Mm -hmm. Knowing about that change makes me less likely to pick up that remake. Same. Well, on on the other hand, too, though, think about it this way. Uh, you know, if that's the only change that bothers you, why is that game ruined? Why is because that what? Why is that game ruining? That that that's because I, I tell I you the one game ruining. But... It's not what? game ruining. It's I already have the original Majora's Mask. I would like uh like a graphical update, which because I. You know, the graphical update's nice. I think it added, like, a quality of life improvement in the owl statues. I'm not a huge fan of them. It also gives uh, you the of, how they, of how they work in the new game. Or in the remake. But, but so I don't... Better. I yeah, can they're... say that they're a well, definite improvement. I think but, this so, change is an active detriment so most, to the most... original design. Most people I've I've talked to, their only complaint about Majora's Mask that they have that they can provide any like solid reasoning as to why it sucks is the boss changes. Like that's the only one. And I think that to completely disregard 
the uh, the game, like Majora's Mask, as a remake and enjoy all the the quality of life changes and all the the updated stuff, based off of the fact that the bosses are different, is like saying I refuse to play Wind Waker because it has a shitty graphic style. You you it it doesn't justify. I don't think not not picking it up and playing it. I, I'm, I'm not, not saying you ne necessarily should buy it. Like if it's a money I'm, thing, I totally get it. But I'm, like, I'm not. I'm not trying to justify it. I'm saying this is how I feel about this, and I feel very strongly about it. Yeah, I, and I'd look at it as I have the original. I love the original as it is. Why do I? Again, yeah, the the graphical update would be nice, but at the same time, as long as I have the original and it works just fine, why 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 fix what isn't broke? You know, yeah. I don't I don't have any problems with the original beyond just you know, things that aren't going to change or things that aren't changing in the update or in the remake. You know, so therefore, why why I even care with the remake? Same logic applies to Ocarina of Time 3D. Why play Ocarina sure. of Time 3D if you have the OG? And yep. my my reasoning is because I like to I like the updated graphics. I like playing the game all over again and in a somewhat new style while still being able to remember what everything that I loved about the game. And, and I and I will agree. Time 3D. I what? feel is kind of an apples to oranges comparison. I died again. <laughs> Oh, man, that was, that was a pretty bad. brutal death. Bad. <laughs> uh, I feel like it's an apples and to oranges comparison in some ways, and I I know I, I've even we've even had people talked with to have disagreed about this, but the design decisions that they did change in Ocarina of Time 3D are significantly less uh, central to how the game plays. I mean, you could argue the same thing for Majora's Mask apart from the boss fights. There's nothing that Majora's Mask change, changes that, like, overall makes or breaks the game. And the owl statues. The owl statues didn't make or break it, because I can save just as easily in the OG Majora's Mask as I can in Majora's Mask Remake. It's just not as convenient. And I'm fine with that. Like, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't... Because when, when I play through Majora's Mask OG, like... I'm doing everything in a cycle that I that I need to or want to do. So then when I'm going to save is going to be, you know, playing the Song of Time and going back. So I, that doesn't bother me. Yes, it, it's a lot more convenient in Majora's Mask Remake, and I think that is one of the best changes in the game. Do I think it breaks or makes the game? No. Because, you know, yes, it allows you, with the portability of the DS, which is really why that change was made as well, because they expected people to be playing on the go and not be able to just play the song of time to save your game because if you don't you lose all your progress you know uh, there there are reason there are fundamental reasons for every change that they did in ocarina of time 3d and majora's mask that don't necessarily apply to the overall thinking of you know og design you know they have to think about things like how's how are modern games played how are you know what what platform are we marketing this game towards? You know if they if they made if they made it on the Wii U if they made Majora's Mask uh, remake on the Wii U they would have zero reason to change the save mechanic other than just convenience and being like hey yeah it'd be neat to to be able to save at any time as opposed to you know playing the Song of Time and restarting my progress. 
Yeah. And I, I think there's a much stronger argument to be made that that's merely a quality of life update. I personally don't like it, but I'm like, that's not the turn off in the same way that the boss fight changes. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, so let, let's deep dive into the boss changes. So, I mean, is it just the fact that each boss has a giant red eye, or is it the fact that you are ticked that you just can't play it the same way? I'm ticked that the they decided to narrow the design of how you're supposed to beat the boss to the intended experience in a game that is almost old enough to drink. Yeah, but most games do that. Most games, in, in some way, shape, or form, will always try and narrow your experience to the intended playstyle. Uh, not Noida, which is the game I'm playing right now. <laughs> I, well, but... I, I, I didn't say every game. I said most games. And I was like, here's here's Breath a kind of, the of a Wild. point. Uh, yeah, that uh, I was actually going to go with Breath of the Wild as well as an example of this. Is my very favorite thing about the game is that there is no incorrect way to play it. And I feel like if there is an incorrect way to play something, then it it just boils down to bad game design. But I don't so, feel the changes of the boss fights make any way incorrect to fight the bosses because literally in every Zelda game there is intended ways to beat the bosses. Right, but like for even in Breath of the Wild, like with all the with the four um, with the four Ganons, you are meant to beat them in specific ways. Yes, you can beat them in other ways or using unconventional thinking to take them same. down. But yeah, they are intended fine. to be beat in a certain way. With the bosses in Majora's Mask, I feel like it's another case of it's it's not broke. Why did you try to fix it? That's, yeah, it's, that's my it's just thing. narrowing, and it I don't doesn't feel like add there's anything gained out of that. Yeah, and it's not a positive subtraction. It's just saying no, you weren't beating the bosses the way we wanted you to the first time. It's the shittiest form of game design. Yeah, and I and I and again, my my stance is I just don't see anything wrong with the original, at least as way the way that it was designed to that aspect. So therefore, why why change it? Why why narrow it? Why make it a more a harder to why limit the player? Why put that limit on them when you could just let them beat it? In various ways, if they want to use, if they want to do it the way that they were intended to, let them beat, let them beat it that way. But then, if they found out another way to do it, like in Breath of the Wild, flip the flip the Wii, flip the Wii yeah. U pad over, the game controller over, and let that ball fall on the back flat backside and let it roll into the spot where it's mm -hmm. supposed to. As long as there isn't a good design reason, like say an optimization that makes the game more boring, uh, to change the design of something if there's an alternate path to success you should just let it stay in the game because it usually adds something to it makes the players feel like they discovered something and as long as it doesn't completely break the game yeah like, yeah like but, i mean and and that's the other thing is it um, from that side we don't necessarily know if there was a fundamental game reason like a game design reason why it was changed sure. like maybe maybe they couldn't port the way the boss worked from the original game to the 3ds i don't think that's the case but you know it could be anything mm -hmm. i just know that the stated reason that they've always said and that they've always 
stood by for the remake and why they made those changes was because they had originally like the transformation masks are supposed to be the highlight of Majora's masks in the first place. And the bosses were always intended to require the use of them in some way. Like you didn't necessarily have to use them all the time, but you needed to absolutely use them. But that's anti followed. So if I was taking this as like a brand new game, uh, I, I would say, even then, I would say this is an anti-follow-the-fun kind of design. It's... I mean, that, that's fair, but I mean, like, you know, at the same time, I don't think it's something that, like, ruins the game for me. Is it? Is it something they needed to do? Was it a smart decision to do? Was it the right choice? Maybe not, probably not. Oh, I'm, but... I'm, I'm not arguing that it should ruin the game for you. I'm saying... Yeah why, to me, personally, this makes it significantly less appealing. Because it, it's a philosophy that's directly at odds with how I want games designed. Yeah, fair enough. I never thought that I would have a Breath of the Wild special on this podcast that we talked so much about Majora's Mask. <laughs> <laughs> also, Breath of the Wild leads into all things. Fire, so, you know. That's, that's the fun of this podcast, though, is like you know, a lot of podcasts, they're all trying to steer back to their main topic, and I'm just like, fuck it. Let, let, let the conversation happen. Oh, yeah. It's more fun than Oh, I'm, I'm gonna get way too angry and intense over something that's relatively minor. Uh-oh. <laughs> Drop the noob. We're also not saying anything awkward, which is like, I'm fine, I guess I'm fine just <laughs> like talking it, in depth. Sean, did in you itself, not but... hear me say my PP on fire? I don't know. Is that awkward enough to cut off the podcast? Probably not. I don't know. Let's, let's keep well, going. How, how are you asking for help to put it out? Is that what you're? Why you're bringing it up? Or fire on your? I don't know. I'm just a little proud of it. Good PP energy. I have good PP energy. It's fire damage. Does PP stand for power points or? or... It's it's uh, no. So it's not like Pokemon PP. I don't think like I can Pokemon say it on the on the cast. It's my weenus. Oh, your elbow skin? Okay. Oh, is that what that is? Yeah. I've yeah. Been, you know, that's one of those words I didn't know beforehand. You know, if now, you look like, up on dictionary.com, they also have the word vagina on there. It's what? the foreskin of your elbow. The <laughs> weenus. I don't know about weenus. the vagina. The weenus is on this end of the elbow, and the, the vagina is, is on the inside. Oh, nice. <laughs> The vagina is on the inside. So, it's a, so, so now that <laughs> so that's that begs the question: Which is your favorite? Are you a vagina man or a weenus man? I like just kind of rubbing them together. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> you're missing out if you're listening to. I, this I rub weenuses with Check my wife every once in a while. When I want to weird my wife out, I'll rub my weenus against hers. You ever you ever get rug burn on your weenus? I feel like maybe as a kid I did. I don't specifically remember it. I feel like as a kid? I can imagine rug burn happening there. My 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 question is why you're more likely to have burn. rug burn as a kid on your weenus and got, less likely to have it as an adult. I, I got rug burn a lot more as a kid because I was like running all over the place and, and you know like doing shit instead of drinking beer and playing video games and talking about video games and drinking beer. 
I don't know, man. I tripped the same way I did as a kid as an adult, so... Chris, in this game, are you, like, throwing a bucket of water, or are you just, like, pissing on everything? Uh, I, I, I literally can't tell, because it's, like, pissing It does water. look like I'm pissing, but, uh, if you take a look at, uh, this... Just let lava. the man... Oh, hey, Cal, how did you cut fire. off? I wish I could pee lava. That would be a great superpower. I am writing a comic book about a guy who pees lava.